five. Now this is most important, Rat. It comes down to making out whenever possible. Put on side one of Rock All Over You Podcast! Let's rock! Eric and Edwin! Edwin and Eric! They don't give a fuck! They just want you to rock! Yeah! Bam 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 dilly dee! Bam bam bam! Rock. We've got singer Vince Neil on the phone, ready to talk about being kicked out of Motley Crue. As you may recall, Motley Crue announced last week that it had parted company with its lead singer Vince Neil after 11 years and six albums together. The reason the band gave for this unexpected split was that, quote, race car driving has become a priority in Neil's life, and that because of this, the rest of the group felt that Neil, quote, did not share their determination and passion for music. Once upon a time, the members of Motley Crue felt somewhat different about each other, as they made clear in an interview we did with them back in May of 1990. And talk about four opposite type of people. You know, you would, you couldn't plan four more different type of people, and it's, it's hilarious. You know, ten years later, we're like this. I couldn't even imagine playing with somebody else. You know, I'd rather just call it quits. Piss off. Okay. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the amazing Rock All Over You podcast. And wait for it, wait for it. Oh, yeah, I got beer this time. I finally went to the damn store and got some beer. Like a and man. I, yeah, well, actually, the, the crack you just heard was a Coke, because I got Tall Boys of Molson Ice, and I already started drinking this one, but I want that crack for that, just for the, the audience. So that's a Coke can I just opened, but I'm going to just drink both of them. All right, that's all right. It's manish. Yeah. Manish boy. Eric and my boy. wife just stole the Coke. There you go. Just straight up Coke? Just not Coke No, no, there. no. That's, that's, <laughs> no, I, I don't party that hard anymore. <laughs> what about the cherry Cokes? Like our, our boy, oh, Nick Watkins. He loves his cherry I, Coke. I love to buy some cherry Coke, but uh, the Coke was actually for my wife. Uh, and uh, the cherry Coke is, uh, you know, that's what I drink. So I got to buy my own case of that shit. You know yeah. what they should do? They should do black cherry Coke. I think they no. That was Dr Pepper that did black cherry. Yeah, that was I don't pretty think Coke, fucking good. Yeah, I don't think Coke actually did it. But do you know Vincent? Did uh, Coke ever do black cherry? Wait a minute, fucking Vincent's here. <laughs> oh yeah, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> Vincent's here. Yeah. What's up, my brothers? How do you pronounce your last name, Vincent? Because I don't want to butcher it. Cabinot. Cabinot. Yeah, Cabinot. The G's silent. I mean, there was a period there where rap always got us confused because we both had ethnic last names starting with C, <laughs> and we both lived in uh, Los Angeles. <laughs> so, yeah. and we both have names. Our first names are both. Um, well, actually, you're. It's funny. I'm the Italian guy, but you're the guy with the name Vincent. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I used to get confused for being Italian all the time back in the day. Yeah, I thought you were half Italian when we met. You know, I, I knew you were Asian in something. But I figured it was Italian. I didn't know that uh, you're a mix of uh, okay, you're Filipino and it's Spanish. Spanish. So there you go. It's close to Italian. You're swarthy. You're swarthy. <laughs> and a charming man, and the ladies love him. Now Vincent. Oh yeah. Vincent. Uh, we go way back, a few years back. We actually met. At, 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 we made plans to meet up because we did the Prince Roundtable. For the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast, greatest podcast out there. 
we're the second best in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> but they're the best. They're number one. Awesome. Uh, and so you know, Prince had just passed away, and me and Vincent are huge Prince fans. So that was something that you know, we immediately bonded on, and it was a really sad week because Prince had just passed away. And Ian Wadley, as a lot of people know, is also a huge Prince fan. So and Ralph wasn't on that episode because Ralph was just like, "Hey, I'm not a huge Prince fan, but you know, I'm gonna let Ian take this over out of respect, you know, for him and his fandom." So Ian had this roundtable, and me and Vincent were part part of that roundtable uh, along with Mike Sears and Ken Mills. Yeah, and yeah, yeah Ken. The Podfather himself, and it was, you know, you could listen to that. Check out that episode if you never listened to it. I'm posting it on the page. Cool, awesome. Yeah. Also, too, yeah, just, uh, just a quick thing out there. Everyone out there, man, if you like this podcast, join our Facebook page, Rock All Over You Podcast. It's just, you know, the same name as the podcast. They're, you know, we're always posting shit there. We're a community. We're a family, you know, so uh, definitely join that page, man. You'll be missing out on some cool stuff. A lot of cool shit. We're always posting cool shit, and we're having cool conversations. And you know, if you just, and not just about music, we we end up talking just about like eighties, like movies and girls that we find attractive. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, things like, yeah. So it's just rock and roll. So yeah, if you, it's like experience the podcast from the comfort of your home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. On, on that group page. But yeah, so me and Vincent and we had we were also into horror movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. So we met up because uh, he lives in Pasadena, and there was a was it Monster Palooza? It was one of those things. Monster Palooza, yep, right was, at the convention center. Yeah, so Monster Palooza was at this convention center, which is just like it was like what five ten minutes from your house, like really close. It's a four block walk. Yeah, it was four block walk. So we actually met there. And then we went back and did the episode. So it was a really cool way to meet, you know. So I met Vincent at a Monster Palooza, and then we went back, and he has this setup, this setup because he's also a guitarist, which I want Vincent to talk a little bit about. But he's a guitarist, and, you know, he's also, uh, for his job, he does a lot of stuff with computers. So he just had a really impressive setup. So it's just like, oh, wow, this is a cool way to to actually do that episode. So me and Vincent are actually in the same room when we're doing that episode. And it was a great way to meet him. And since then, Vincent's become one of my best friends. Uh, we, we meet up a lot at the Rainbow Barn Grills. A lot of uh, the RMCP Army knows. We, we hang out at the Rainbow. And, you know, occasionally we'll meet up and do like a Monster Palooza or something like that. Or, you know, go to a gig. We're going to both be at the Judas Priest gig in a couple weeks. Hell oh, yeah. yeah. So you'll be seeing some pictures of that in the group. And so Vincent's, you know, he's one of my best L.A. friends. He's an awesome guy, and he's a real rock and roller. And, man, does he have some great stories. And like myself, he's lived in New York and in L.A. He's originally from New York. So we've covered some of the same ground over the years. So, uh, but, so Vincent, t- t- tell people a little bit about yourself. Oh, well, you know, grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, was all into the metal scene in Brooklyn. And probably around in the 90s, I was more into... I, I, I basically get into every kind of music. I'm one of those freaks that has albums for everything. Um, 90s, I was very much into gothic industrial music. And I've been in a couple of bands back then in New York. And in the 2000s, I moved to L.A. Because I've had enough of craziness that happened in New York to start a family out here. Joined more bands out here, done a couple more things. And I, I play currently bass in a band called Lore, and it's it's probably not rock or metal. It's more like gothic trip hop, but 
uh, we sometimes do gigs, and we do really big gigs when they happen. Um, but, you know, uh, bass and guitar is what I do here and there on the side, but for normal, everyday work, I... Uh, I work in I worked in advertising for the last couple of years, and now I'm working in television. So I get to uh, operate uh, television and cable news stuff. Yeah. So it's pretty much that's pretty much it. Just a lot of shows and a lot of guitars and a lot of uh, craziness in my Vin- life. Uh, Vincent has a lot of guitars. <laughs> yeah, really. He's got, yeah, he's got an insane amount of guitars and pedals, and, and one of them he's going to talk about in a later. Billy Idol episode because there's a connection to uh, uh, a Billy Idol a- album and that guitar. Yeah. But for this, uh, any other Steve Stevens related guitars you got besides uh, that one? I also have like the Hamer, a kind of Hamer model that like he has in the Rebel Yell video. Ooh, oh wow, well, oh wow, that's awesome. We'll talk, and that might just be the other episode that we're doing, so we'll talk about that then. But uh, yeah, so and this is one of the reasons why uh, we asked you to do this episode because you are the resident Steve Stevens nut swinger in the <laughs> RMCP army. You love Steve Stevens. He's one. Of, he's one of your top three favorite guitarists, right? Yeah, he's one of my top three influences. And then by chance, I managed to meet him a couple of times in New York City. <clears throat> Since a friend of mine, his brother played on Billy Idol's first album, so we would all go out clubbing together, and then we'd run into Steve, and then we'd be drinking and hanging with Steve, and this was during the crazy 80s. So I was constantly around that environment with a lot of different uh, um, famous folks. It was it was pretty exciting. I, did, I never had a dull moment back then. Wow. So, so what uh, clubs were these where you hanged out with uh, Steve? Well, it was uh, the Limelight, New York City. Which wow, was- you were actually at the Limelight. I, I got to miss that. That was a little before my time, so I just missed the Limelight. But it's a legendary club in New York. Yeah, it was, it's built inside of a church. Yeah, and that's yeah. it had like a lot of metal and goth and industrial like bands played there. Yeah, every kind of band played there because it was like a different night for every different kind of music. But Sundays was heavy metal, and like I was always there on Sundays. I was a regular for two years, and. There's a couple of other people I know from that from that era that's doing really well now, like um, Ryan, who plays with Alice Cooper now. He yeah. uh, used to be in a band called Electric Angels, and we hung out with him a lot. And now he's with Alice Cooper. He's one of his lead guitar players. So it's it's really trippy for me to see him because I used to pick him up at his apartment all the time, and we would go party. We went to the Bang Tango record release party together. Which was oh wow, Ian would love that. <laughs> yeah, Ian's like probably the biggest Bang Tango fan in the world. <laughs> a bigger fan than Tim Bream, that's for sure. <laughs> wow. It's a, yeah. A, a, and yeah, didn't you once tell me I remember over maybe if I'm not wrong, didn't you see Rob Halford once there? Yes, my yeah. Rob Halford story. <laughs> yeah, tell the Rob oh, Halford shit. story. Come on. Come on, tell. So we're in, I'm in the VIP room by myself. My buddies are all walking around and I see Rob Halford come in and he's got the metal mullet because this was the turbo era so he's walking around he's got like his his drinks he got like i think he was double fisting at one point but he was walking around stirring his drink he had leather gloves on his like tank top leather pants and i'm sitting there on the couch and he decides he sits ahead across from me on the opposite couch you know he's minding his own business he's not doing anything but i'm like holy crap it's fucking halford (laughs) And I was so struck that I was like, I want to go say hi to him, but like, I, I don't know what to say. And like, 
You know, when, in VIP, it's a little more relaxed. Everybody talks to everybody because it was the VIP room where this was. It wasn't anywhere in the regular club. You had to have a a card to go up and go in there sometimes, or you if you knew so if you knew people. Yeah. So he's he's sitting there with his drink, chilling out, and I'm like. Then I start notice when he went out to get another drink. I, I saw him looking around. I was like, "Okay, Rob is really—he's." I, I can tell he's look, looking to hang out with people. <laughs> you, you, I, I get what you say. Okay, he's a little on the prowl. Yeah, he's totally okay. in prowl mode. So I was like, <laughs> "Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't do anything. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't go say hi to him. But he sat got, across from me." Yeah, we're, we're all reading between the lines. Like, it's like, he's awesome, I think he's great, but I see he's in prowling mode, and yeah, you, it might go in another direction that you might not necessarily want it to go into. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could have talked to him, and it was just like, you know, I, I've talked to famous people already, so it's kind of like, I'm, I, I know what to do, but it's like, I didn't want to, like, have it shattered if he was in a bad mood or something, so I kind of just let him do his thing. He's the metal god. I get it. Like even amongst VIPs, it's like he's a VIP. Like that's it's yeah. like kind of next level. He's the fucking metal god. But I just think it's cool that you're sitting in the VIP room at the limelight in the fucking eighties. <laughs> you got Halford. you got Rob Halford with the mullet. That's like yeah. next level. Like holy shit. That's like when he's doing the American Express card commercials. It's a <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit, I remember that. Yeah, that's a really cool Halford to be around. Uh but that's just so awesome. You should see Vincent back in the day, man. You should uh, on the group, the Facebook group, you should post some pictures. I mean, he, he had he was really rocking the hair back then. He looked Oh awesome. yeah. Yeah. I had the total Chris Cornell thing going. Yeah. He's a yeah, he was a real lady killer. So, um so that's all awesome. That's cool. And uh, how was Steve Stevens? Like, he, he was a really cool guy. You liked him a lot? Yeah, Steve was awesome. You know, back in the 80s, it, it was just like, you know, everybody's in that room, like, partying and drinking. But, you know, you don't want to, like, talk to him and, like, get in his face about, like, you know, Steve Stevens stuff. You're just like, hey, how's it going? You know, what you up to? I, Were you a big fan then when you met yeah. him? Were you as big of a fan then? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he was already one of your favorite guitars. Yeah, and I was just like, you know, shitting bricks when I saw him there. And like, you know, since my friend's brother played on the album, it's like we had this connection with him and this circle of people. Yeah. And um, one of them also was Adam Baum, that musician from New York. Who's actually I bought one of his CDs at a Goodwill once. Yeah? Yeah. He's a cool dude. I, I did a roadie gig for him at the Scrap Bar once. I helped set up his guitar for him. <laughs> Oh, cool. Yeah, so Steve was Steve was cool. You know, we sat and talked about uh, you know clothes and and just general bullshit, and uh, you know just hung out. I mean, we have pictures of that night. But I ran into him everywhere, like in this other club called Sanctuary, and then there was another place uh, called the Loft, which is which was a place you had to know people to in order to go. That's where everybody like went like the after party after the clubs, but. Um, I'm not sure if I saw him at the loft once, but I always saw him at Sanctuary or the Limelight. You know, uh, and the that's like a real special time to be in New York, you know, because that like scene's not there anymore. So that's really awesome that you were there. Yeah, it's long gone because you would bounce from one place to the other. If like nothing was going on here, you'd go to another place, or maybe your friend's band is playing here. You know, I went to the Cat Club and you could see White Zombie, but they weren't even signed yet, and there's like ten people in front of them. And I, I ran into them like I see them like a dozen times before they were even signed. So 
I remember the whole thing back in the day. Wow, that's really nice. cool. That's very cool. So, okay, so we'll get start. Like, uh, do you, as a as a fan of Steve Stevens, when were you aware that he was doing this album with Vince Neil? Uh, right after Whiplash Smile videos stopped showing, because I knew at that time his partnership with Billy Idol was like dividing, because. Yeah. Billy was going more towards an electronic sound. If you listen to Whiplash Smile, there's a bit of like MIDI type early Pro Tools electronic sound to it. And Steve Mm -hmm. was still wanting to rock out. So I know that he wanted to do other things and he didn't want to really go in that direction. And at that time, and he ended up, uh, I knew that he was out of Billy's band because he had this other guy, Mark Younger Smith, come in for the next tour. So... I knew that uh, he was playing with Steve Stevens because, I mean, Steve Stevens was playing with Vince Neil because it was, you know, it started to bubble up and, and make the, the rumor mill, and then we saw the Exposed album. Yeah. Well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's like, oh, shit, you know, Billy Idol's going cyberpunk and getting more industrial, oh, and he's like, I yeah. want to rock out. It must have been, like, perfect timing. Oh, here's Vince Neil because he's, like, he's just going to want to rock out. You ain't going to get some industrial album out of Vince Neil. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, so perfect timing. And I'm going to give a lot of opinions about this album when we get to it. But, uh, I guess, like, it's interesting because the Rock and Metal Combat podcast, and we already had this planned beforehand, but it's weird. It's kind of like how we followed the tier episode with Ralph. We yeah. followed it with the Ozzy Osbourne No, no More Tier. So, if you listen to that Rock and Metal Combat podcast episode from last week about the 94 Motley Crue album, this, it's, we already had this planned, so it wasn't yeah. like planned, but this could <laughs> kind of be seen as a companion piece, because exactly. now, this is the corresponding album, you know, it was released one year earlier, he had the, the jump on them, but mm-hmm. it's like, the question, what's better, 94, uh, Motley Crue, or Vince Neil's Exposed, I'll, I'll just, let me just, to give a little bit of my history with this, you know, I was a huge Motley Crue fan, as a teenager in junior high, Dr. Feelgood was, you know, this massive fucking album. You know, oh, I know it was a lot. massive pile of shit. I, <laughs> I, it's funny that you said that because I was just about to say it gets a lot of shit these days. But you got under in 89, that album was not getting shit on. Everyone loved that album. It was a big album. Even yeah. people that were like into like heavier stuff liked like uh, Dr. Feelgood, the song. And oh, the like, it's good. Kickstart my heart. Like those songs were popular. They weren't crazy about the whole album, but they. It, it wasn't like I'm just saying. You know, Vincent knows he was there at the time. That was a very well received album yeah. at the time. It was like a shot in the arm because people were like, you know, girls, girls, girls was kind of like, you know, it had a couple good songs, but that was it. You know, it even in its time, that album did not have a great reputation. Dr. Feelgood in 89 had a good reputation. It was considered like a, a kind of return to form. And it was also all over MTV like crazy, especially the Feelgood video, because when that dropped, it was just like you couldn't escape it. It was just no, amazing. Yeah, and like Bob Rock's production. I mean, obviously, famously, it led directly to the Black Album, Metallica's Black Album, because they hired Bob Rock based on... Lars was very impressed with the guitar sound and drum sound on Feel Good, on, on the song, Dr. Feel Good. And then that's when they called up 
Bob Rock. So, ah. yeah. So yeah that, I love that, too, because Metallica's always, like, bagging on And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm more of a Metallica fan than a Motley Crue fan, but yeah. I love how Lars always bagged on, like, Motley Crue. Yeah, it's like, you know, oh, I... You know, they went to Bob Rock for that album, for the Black Album, because <laughs> yeah. of Dr. Feelgood. So it's like, ha. There you go. And so it's it's interesting because, you know, obviously Bob Rock did, again, the 94 album. So it, as I say, Feelgood, whatever you think of it, it was an important album for 89. It's It was Motley Crue's biggest selling record. Uh, it does have one of their worst songs ever, Time for Change. Oh, <laughs> God. But there are some really good songs on it, and I kind of consider, as far as Motley Crue goes, a mid-tier album. Now, Motley Crue, a mid-tier album, is probably not the greatest thing, <laughs> because they don't have that many good albums, but it's about a mid-tier album, in my opinion. I love the first two albums just to put this into some context. Like most people, I think Shout's their best album. I do love that first album, though. I really love the, the punk kind of power pop vibe and the influence of that first album. And it's very different from everything else they did later. 94, I had a very... I have a very complicated relationship with 94. Some <laughs> months I love it, some months I hate it. Uh, I, we When we did the Rock and Metal Combat podcast reunion episode, a lot, mm-hmm. if you recall, that was actually a Top 25 Motley Crue song episode. <laughs> and... And it was a little controversial in the group, and this is mainly this section right here is really just for the RMCP army. It was a little controversial because uh, Hooligans Holiday was the only song that made the top 25. Because Whoa! The, yeah, because me and Johnny Vogan were very anti-94 Motley Crue. At yeah, the Johnny Vogan really hates that fucking album. He really hates the album, and that, <laughs> in that week, I hated it. <laughs> so as a result it pushed out like even even when i was hating it i had to admit hooligan's holiday was a really great song and i do think it's the best song on the album but i was re-listening to that album again and now i feel a little bit like a dick i was like eh, it's definitely one of their better albums i i don't i think it's a little overrated and it is a little dated and some of bob rock's uh kitchen you know kitchen sink production techniques on the album i think are a little overblown and it's a little try hard you know, you know why i think a lot of people like like you, know, like you edwin i know like yeah. why a lot of people probably find it maybe overrated i think it's because it's one of those albums that maybe a lot of people overlooked like a lot of people didn't listen to it you know or they just avoided it because it didn't have vince neal so they never gave it a proper shake and then years mm-hmm. later when people finally are like you know what let me give this album a chance it's a really good album but they're just because of the fact that they put it off for so long and didn't listen to it for so long i think they think it's better than what it really is now don't get me wrong i'm kind of the same way because i was a dumb teenager i was like uh if it doesn't have vince on there i don't want to listen to it you know because vince is my favorite member of motley crew but i had to find out that it's a great fucking album you know so i'm still fairly i'm still fairly new to it i think it was only about like five years ago when i finally like gave it a chance uh and I, i still love it i still really love it it's a great fucking album is it perfect? No, but I think it fucking kicks ass. And in my opinion, besides Shot the Devil, it's their only. For me, it's the only a Motley Crue album I like that isn't Shot the Devil. Where like you know, it's I can listen to it from start to finish, and I have to skip a thousand songs. Yeah, I like. I, said, I like it now. I think it's a really good album. I 
I have some issues with it. I, but I definitely like it more than I did that week when we did the episode. And like, there's some. I feel really bad that "Welcome to the Numb" wasn't on the top 25 because I think that's a really great song. And uh, there's a few other songs too. That's you understood. Know. Holy uh, shit, I love that song. I'm a, I'm a little mixed on that song. Ooh, yeah, I'm a little mixed on "Misunderstood." It's just ah, uh, it's very try hard. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's pretty good. I just love Glenn Hughes' voice on it, man. I, I love... do like that. I do love Glenn Hughes, and uh, I like Uncle Jack, and you know, a lot of the you know, like Smoke the Sky and Hammered are good rockers. Oh, fuck yeah! It, it's a good album. It's a really good album. It's obviously dated. It's obviously them jumping on trends. But it's solid. It's stronger than a lot of the grunge records that were actually made at that time period. They no, we got all the metal bands trying to jump on the grunge bandwagon. Yeah, it's one of the better ones. The drum sounds good. Karabi's voice is strong. Although I do, I do think the album would have been better if Vince was singing it. Uh, I just say this: I think Vince has more personality, and I think this idea mm-hmm. that Vince couldn't pull it off. Off that kind of singing. I mean, I, especially if we talk about this album that we're going to get into, Exposed, and think about like the Primal Scream like single. Like, you know, Vince could really belt it, and he could get kind of bluesy, raw kind of sounding. And so, I definitely think, and I think the album would have done better if I, if if you had combined like Exposed in '94 into one album with Vince singing. I think they might have weathered the storm in the mid-90s. I think that actually could have put them over the edge and kept them going. Yeah, Uh, it's true what Eric Eric was saying, though. Sorry. (laughs) That, um, you know, at the time, a lot of us were tuning it out. We were just, like, trying to figure out what the hell grunge was when it was coming out, and we weren't really paying so much attention to our our 80s bands. And when Motley Crue didn't have uh, Vince anymore, we were just like, oh, fuck this. You know? Yeah, yeah, it was just, yeah. I remember when I saw Hooligans Holiday, I was like, it's a good song, but eh, I'm not going to get into it. And it's funny because I listen to the song now and go, well, this is such a great song. Why wasn't I more excited about it at the time? But I guess I wasn't alone. A lot of people were like that. And I guess this goes back to what you were saying, too, Eric. It's like I feel it was obviously underrated at the time. And yeah. now I think it's overrated. Because <laughs> well, you got a lot of like probably the hipster kind of people like. Yeah. Because it's so underrated, they say, like, oh, well, it's just yeah. the best album. Because I, I still put Shot the Devil above it. You know, I still think Shot the Devil's way better, but at the same time, it's yeah. my number two favorite. Well, it's it's the only other Motley Crue album I like that isn't Shot the Devil, so. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would definitely put Too Fast uh, above it. I know some people are into Too Fast, some are. I'm definitely a Too Fast guy. I love Too Fast for Love. I think that album's great. The only song I'm not crazy about is uh, Come Out and Dance. Uh, or come on and dance, whatever that dumb song. That's oh, better than fucking Public Enemy Number One. No, Public Enemy Number One. Oh, I hate awesome. that song. It's an awesome <laughs> song. Totally wrong here. <laughs> love that song. Uh, but I, I really, I love the vibe of that first album, and you know, it's like it's very uh, glam rock influence and power pop influence, and it just, it's in a lot of ways their most like honest record. I think that first album. And, but Shadow the Devils, obviously, I don't know, it's like a weird fluke where they put out an album that good. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, you know, it's it's to the point where that guy that claims, oh, well, I'm the real Nikki Six, and I was, like, replaced or some shit. Like, it's really to the point where I'm starting to kind of believe that guy and his crazy conspiracy theory, because it's just like, yeah, you know what? There's no way you wrote an album that good and then just went to absolute shit on the next, every yeah. other album. Yeah, I like Theater yeah. of Pain, but... 
it's like it, I can hear that several notches down. I like it, and it's probably my third favorite Motley Crue album. But objectively, I could hear that the '94 album's better. I just it, it's kind of close to the sound of Shadow of the Devil, just like a weaker Shadow of the Devil. So I li- down. Yeah, so I like that album. And Home Sweet Home is a beautiful, great pop. Oh, that album. song fucking rules! Yeah. I love that fucking yeah. song. So, and I think that's the best ballad, easily the best ballad that Crue ever did. So, uh, so when we got into 94, so I guess the verdict, this is what I'm saying. So 94, I think it's a good album. I think I was hard on it that week I did the episode. <laughs> it's overrated now, but was underrated then. This album, and now we're going to get into this album, Vince Neil's Exposed, is an album that I think was underrated then, and it's still underrated. That's the thing, <laughs> you know. I don't see this excitement for this album like I see for the 94 album, but... I will just say, uh, we're going to break it down track by track, but if we're talking just the overall album, I'm going to tell you right now, I love this album. I think it's better in 94, the Motley Crue 94 album, and I think it's better than anything Vince Neil did after Shadow of the Devil. So this is actually my third favorite thing that Vince Neil did after Shadow of the Devil nice. and outside of Motley Crue. I'm a huge fan of this album. So, and, so I'm going to take a, I'm going to just take a guess and say that uh, between this and 94, Motley Crue album, you'd probably choose this one as your favorite? Oh, easily. Easily, okay. I like this better. What, what about you, Vince? Which one Same. Which one would you choose? Definitely the this album, Exposed, because oh. just the firepower on it guitar-wise. I mean, I love Mick Mars. He's, he's, he's killing it on Motley Crue 94, but, you know, I'm, I'm biased with Steve Stevens and, like, mm-hmm. the way he takes the guitar melodically on this record. And, you know, Steve was kicking it out, out the gate with the first song and just, you know, to me, I just uh, connect with it better. Yeah, Same I, here. Steve Stevens is a big reason, although not to take away things from Vince, but that is a big part of why this album has an edge. And I like Mick Mars uh, as well, and I do think he was really stretching out as a guitarist on the 94 album but he's not he's just not in the same league as steve stevens and hey, mick mars played guitar on that album i thought it was fucking uh dj ashba <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's the thing too another thing though the 94 album sounds like a studio album like it sounds like a bob rock album like it's yeah. just very almost industrial sounding to me whereas this sounds like well, I mean, it's pretty much Steve Stevens and a drummer, but as you know, which I didn't actually know. I just found out now that Steve Stevens literally Same. played all the guitar parts and bass parts on this album. Yeah. But even though it's just one guy playing all the guitar parts, it just sounds more like a band. It just sounds more organic. And I feel it's a more honest kind of extension from Motley Crue because of Vince Neil's taste, because Vince Neil actually likes Motley Crue music, like Tommy yeah. Six. So it feels like a natural evolution from that. So it's kind of like Steve Stevens is doing what he does, Vince is doing what he does, and it's a very organic kind of album. It doesn't feel as try-hard or as, you know, as, as the 94 album. And it doesn't sound as contingent on a producer, you know, as mm-hmm. the 94 album. This sounds like musicians or a really awesome fucking musician who and this makes a lot of sense vincent that that he's kind of going for broke on this album it's like because billy idol's not letting me do all this shit you know anymore so i'm gonna really go to town on the guitar this is like him doing everything he always wanted to do but couldn't do that's what it sounds like to me yeah i also made a mistake because 
earlier when I said Whiplash Smile was the last thing he was doing. He also did the Atomic Playboys album where he was actually coming on to his own and doing things his way and totally unleashing the type of album he wanted to make. And I think this is a perfect extension of that, too, because he's he just cuts loose all over this thing. Yeah, and one last thing, uh, Eric, I just want to say, yep. to me, this kind of... It's very, it's, it was very smart of Vince. It's kind of like he did everything right, except for yeah. this album should have came out two years earlier and they released the different singles. Oh, I agree. <laughs> In my I agree. Opinion, which we'll get to that when we get to the tracks. But I think <laughs> they, the single choices were horrible. And it just came out a little bit late because people just weren't into this kind of music by 93. Mm-hmm. But he was smart. He was doing a, the David Lee Roth thing where... He gets Steve Stevens, which is just like David Lee Roth getting Billy Sheenan and Steve Vai. Yeah, he got probably the, the cream of the crop, like, musician-wise. Yeah. And it expands. The one funny thing is, I can say, one thing that the 94 album, the Motley Crue 94 album, and this album has in common, is both albums, ironically, are more musically superior than any Motley Crue album. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> So it's like it's funny you you take away Vince and you're thinking like oh great there's no way this band's gonna survive yet Vince leaves he puts out like a really kick ass record Motley Crue gets a new singer and then they put out like probably the best album they've ever put out since you know shot the devil and say like, oh okay I like where this is going and then but then they fucked it up and they joined forces again yeah and then they started to suck more than they even did oh, in the yeah. late 80s <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it's just, it's like, but they really challenged themselves. That's the thing. It's yeah. like they wanted to prove to the other, oh, fuck you, I don't need you. So Vince grabs Steve Stevens, and you could hear it. Like, this, this, the music, the quality of the music on this is so much above what Motley Crue was doing in the mid and late 80s. Yeah. And likewise, objectively speaking, uh, so is the 94 album. So it's just like both, both of them kind of just, both of them traded up, essentially. And, Musically, did better, but in the mid nineties, no one gave a fuck, so it didn't matter because they exactly. weren't. <laughs> it's like they both traded up. They both, they both kind of showed the other up. It, it's kind of, um, yeah. I mean, it, in a sense, it's like if both of them had eat them and smiles, but it was like <laughs> yeah. in the mid nineties, you know. So yeah, that's what's very interesting. What else were you going to say about this album, though, and your introduction to it? First time you heard it, Eric. Um. I'll try to keep this. I'll try to keep this short because I mean, I, I wasn't. You know, I'm really young here, so I wasn't. Yeah. You know, unlike you guys, I wasn't really. You know, this album came out the year I was born. Uh, but I do remember this album, and I do remember I listened to this album before I listened to '94. So, like I said, I I put off '94 for so long because I was just so like, you know, oh well, if Vince isn't in there. You know, fuck that. I don't want to listen to that crap. You know, and, and can you blame me? Because, I mean, look at Nikki Six and uh, Tommy Lee. I mean, those guys really can't, you know, those guys really can't write a song to save their fucking life. So, of course, I'm going to think that album's going to suck. Um, but I remember hearing this because, you know, my brother, you know, in the early 90s, man, my brother was always renting Encino Man from the video store, <laughs> you know. And so I heard you're invited, but your friend can't come. I had the Encino Man soundtrack. Uh, you know, I, I just, you know... This is the kind of music I listen to, you know, so I, I always love this album, and I will say, you know, and I think it's got a slight edge because maybe I've known it longer, but I still say this, especially after listening to it, I give this album a slight edge over 94, Ooh, but they're very oh. neck and neck, so I will say I, I do take Exposed over 94. But wow, so like, we all take Exposed over 94? Yeah. Wow. 
Oh, Nothing yeah. to take away from 94. 94 is still dynamite. Oh, yeah. It's like, I, I give I give Expose the Edge by Larry like a cunt hair. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much like my history, you know, with this album. You know, I remember, like, like I'm a big, I, I love Vince Neil. You know, my, no matter how much I rag on Motley Crue, I always respect Vince because he, you know, he knows who he is and whatnot. Um. Yeah, I love the sound, but yeah. You know, Vince, you're our esteemed guest. Why don't you take the first track off this album, Look in Her Eyes. Um, the first thing I, I like about this, too, is just just how right out the gate Steve Stevens is just gunning it. Like, this is one of those definite tracks on an album that right out the gate is like kicking kicking it out of the park with, with his riffage that comes right through. And um, he's even got, like, his total... Uh, ray gun effects like if you know on the guitar Steve Stevens loves to collect science fiction stuff and he has toy ray guns uh, that he's he's bought from the 60s and 70s and he, he mods them like the electronics to do those sound effects and he always likes to pull one up on his guitar and do those space sounds it's, like, it's just like his uh, one of his trademarks so he's he's got that blazing during this song. That's so cool. I didn't know that. I was awesome. always I was gonna ask you about that too, since you have you know you know a lot about Steve Stevens. I was like, man, what the why the hell does it sound like he's playing Space Invaders while recording the guitar solo at the same time? It's yeah. like doing a solo and you hear like what the fuck was that? Yeah, he actually had one of those built into his guitar. Like if you know the. Um, the era, like when he did uh, work with Michael Jackson and he played on Dirty Diana, he has a hammer like that. And also on Live Aid, he has that hammer. He has it built into the guitar, so he has three buttons on the surface, so he, he, he triggers it a certain way. But he can do a little bit more when he has the, the ray gun itself and he moves it along the pickups. So he does a little bit of fancy fun with that, but, you know, he doesn't rely on it. He's got the chops to just kill without it. <laughs> so Yeah. That's kind of his signature because I and you know listening to a lot listening to this album listening to a lot of Billy Idol you definitely get that from his sound it's kind of his calling card almost yeah it's all the sci-fi stuff because even in Atomic Playboys his his um, he has those references to those fifties and sixties science fiction stuff so that he has those audio intro of uh, Atomic Energy stuff like um, I think it was some kind of uh, what do you call those things they show you in school to scare you as a kid? Like those those oh, videos they make you watch. <laughs> He's got a little <laughs> of that playing to like yeah. ease you into that whole vibe and then hits you with the guitar. But uh, yeah, I mean, I love this first song. It's just he's he's totally going for it, and Vince sounds great. Vince is just going for it too, and you know Vince is in fine form here. It's like this is the you know this is Vince like sharpened. Edwin, what do you think of Look in Her Eyes? I agree totally. Love this track. One of the best songs on the album. I'd say it's probably my third. Yeah, it's my third favorite track. Awesome opener. Awesome way to kick it off. Like Vince said, that guitar. It's, it sounds like, you know, even though, and, and we'll talk more about this when we do that Billy Idol episode later, but it sounds like he, to a degree he was kind of holding back a little Steve Stevens because yeah. that's more pop and new wave music, so he can't, like, do full-out rock shit. Uh, you know, he could on a few songs like Rebel Yell and stuff, but not overall. But here it's just like, it, you, it's like, it's both Vince and Steve Stevens are both, like, released out of a cage. 
<laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's just like, wow. And he's just like, you could just hear him going to town. It sounds like Steve Stevens like, kind of listened to Dawkins back for the attack a few years back and thought, <laughs> yeah. man, I wish I could do that. <laughs> I wish I could do, like, Kiss of Death type shit. And so, yeah, it's a little Dawkins-esque, this song. And it's great. And he's nailing it. It's It's heavy. This is just great, classic, heavy, melodic metal. Very similar to the kind of stuff Dawkins was doing. And... I love that kind of shit. And Vince is nailing it. This is Vince, like Vincent said. He's in fine form. This is still the primal scream, Vince Neal. You know, he's still... And he's showing these Motley Crue guys that he ain't just about racing cars and drinking, you know, Mai Tais or whatever. He's gonna fucking rock and roll. And he does it. And this song is just heavy, catchy. To me, like I said earlier, I think they made a lot of mistakes with the singles. Uh, the, I mean, if you don't count, you're invited, but your friend can't come in, which is a little different. That was a different version of the song that was for yeah. No Man. And that came out like a year before. So I'm not even really counting that. If you're actually talking about the first song that came from this album, it's Sister of Pain. And we'll talk about that song when we get to it. It's the next song. But I'll just say this already. I don't think Sister of Pain should have been a single, especially not the lead-off single. Uh, it should have been this song or maybe another track that's a couple songs down. It needed a song like this or that other track. It needed, like, they needed to just say, hey, this ain't Motley Crue, Vince Neil. Whereas they went the opposite direction. They were like, hey, Sister of Pain, this is Motley Crue, Vince Neil. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but this is 1993. Yeah. They don't want shit that sounds like Motley Crue. Like, so I feel like he needed to come out with a heavy track. And if anything, his best bet, his only bet really in 93, was to maybe try to get some Pantera fans, maybe a few people that like Skid Row's Slave to the Grind, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. He needed to kind of get that group because the Motley Crue group was dead. And even though I might like some of these Motley Crue sounding songs that we're going to get to, that was not the way to announce this album. He needed to announce it like this is something fresh and new and more rockin'. And I feel like this song could have been that, you know, and it just it just to really push forward that, hey, I'm rocking out Steve Stevens and we're getting heavier and more kick ass than we than I was with Motley Crue. To me, that would have been the way to announce this album and really get it some attention, in my opinion. So I think it was a big mistake to not have it be this song or another song later. Either one, I think, would have, which I'm sure you guys are already guessing what the other song is. But either song would have been a great way to announce this album. So I think it was a major ball drop to do Sister of Pain instead of this song or the other song. But it's awesome. What do you think about it, Eric? Oh, man, well, they start the album off right because this is my favorite track off the fucking album. Just, you know, this shit's better than anything off Girls, Girls, Girls or Dr. Feelgood, with the exception of the song, Dr. Feelgood. Uh, this song just fucking rules. I love the opening because it sounds almost like the opening of, like, a show. Like, it makes you feel like you're at a rock concert, you know, and... You know, you hear, like, the band kind of tuning up in the background, the ominous noise, and then the band just kicks in. This song fucking rules. I agree with you, Edwin. This should have been, like, you know, the lead-off single. I think this is a better choice than, uh... Not that Sister of Pain's a bad song, spoiler alert, but I think this song's just better because it's, you know... It, you know, it has that Motley Crue... Like, that Motley Crue sound that the Motley Crue fans are gonna like, but also, like, it goes a little bit beyond that, you know? So it attracts, like, some of the people that like heavier stuff. 
Um, you know, it sounds like something out of an action movie too. I could see like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Sloan blowing motherfuckers up to this <laughs> song, you know? Yeah. And you know, Vince Neil, for all the flack he takes, he is a great. Well, at least at one point, he was a great fucking singer. I like his voice. I think it's unique sounding. It's different. You always know it's Vince Neil singing. No one can duplicate his voice really. Definitely. And. Yeah, and Steve Stevens, I love that man. He's ripping on this song, you know, playing his guitar and his uh, Space Invaders on the Atari at the same time, <laughs> just killing it. And this you know, song was written by uh, it was by Vince Neil, Steve Stevens, and uh, Phil Susan, who uh, oh, worked with Ozzy Osbourne. And, that's uh, right. Yeah, and he wrote "Shot in the Dark." And man, look what happens when Vince <laughs> when you pair Vince Neil up with a guy that can actually write fucking songs at third grade level, <laughs> unlike Nikki Six. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, man. Look in her eyes. I fucking love this song. And Edwin, you're kind of really, really getting into Sister of Pain there. So I'll, I'll let you take that song next. All right, Sister of Pain, great song. I love it. It's better. And I, well, I, I think. I mean, I, it's funny because I, I like Doctor Feelgood, the album, a little bit better than you, Eric. But yet, <laughs> I think half this album's better than anything on that album. <laughs> So, uh, even even the title track. I think Look In Her Eyes is better than that song. Uh, Sister of Pain is, would be a good song on Dr. Feelgood. It'd be one of the better songs on Dr. Feelgood. Here, it's not one of the better songs, but it's a good, it's a solid song. It's very Motley Crue. Uh, this is like, okay, this is the Motley Crue, Vince Neil. And it's catchy as hell. And believe me, if this was 89, it makes a lot of sense as a single. But 93, no. And definitely not the lead-off single. But it is catchy. I get it. They think, hey, this sounds like Motley Crue. Let's release it. But again, 93, no, not the way they should have gone. But the song's great. It's catchy. It's cock rock at its finest. It's very catchy. Steve Stevens just shows how versatile he is. Because this whole album's actually very versatile. And again, I, to me, it's very similar to like one of the uh, better David Lee Roth solo albums. Like uh, Eat Him a Smile or A Little Ain't Enough. Is there? It's hard rocking. It's heavy, but yet there are some curveballs that we'll get to stylistically. And already with the first two tracks, it's already showing you different shades. So this is like full out. If the first track's like melodic metal, this is straight up cock rock, straight up sleazy, catchy, fun cock rock. And Steve Stevens is adapting to it. He's like doing the McMar stuff, but taking it to another level because he's just frankly a better guitarist. So it just breathes a little bit more. It has a little bit more sexiness to it. It just, you know, it's a little more fluid, you know, than what Motley Crue sounds like. It swings more. Like, it just mm -hmm. swings a little more. So you're just hearing kind of like Motley Crue music, but at just a higher level of musicianship. And it yeah, just so swings a little more. Yeah, and, and Vince is just, you know, he's singing his balls off. And he sounds great. And this is one thing, too. Like, I know Nikki wrote the lyrics for Motley Crue, but... If you listen to this album and you listen to Motley Crue 94, I'm convinced that Vince was doing like what Ozzy used to do with like Black Sabbath, that he's creating the melodies. Because yeah. tell me that these melodies don't sound more like Motley Crue melodies than anything that's on 94. Like, yeah, this, right. I, can, yeah. I can totally tell because some of this reminds me, the way this song goes a little bit, it reminds me of Girls, Girls, Girls a tiny bit. Yeah, I mean, to me, I listened to this song and I thought, okay, so Vince is really was the guy coming up with the melodies of Motley Crue because these this sounds like the melodies and there's nothing that sounds like this on '94. 
So I think Vince is very underrated as a singer, as a personality, and I think he comes up with these really great melodies. It's just really hooky. It's fun. It's like sleazy metal, you know, bubblegum metal, and it's a great song. And and it just tells you how great this album is. That even though I think it's a great song, I still say it's a mid-tier song on this album. But would be one of the best songs on Doctor Feelgood, in my opinion. So what do you yep. think about it, Vincent? I think、uh, you know, like I was saying, this was a weird era because well, not really weird. I mean, that's not the best choice.、Uh, Steve was coming off of his Atomic Playboys type sound, and he was really trying to prove himself. So, because a lot of the stigma with him is like, oh, that guy's from Billy Idol, and like you know, some metalheads are like, you know, ah,、oh, that's New Wave era, so it's not like cool. Doesn't is some of them get that attitude? I've seen it. So. Vince,、um, Vince is pulling him in, and they're starting to gel as musicians. And you can totally hear Steve,、uh, you know, really trying to prove himself with this. Not only、really、that he needs to, but he's he's selling it, and he's 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 doing a good job with it. Because even in this era, the record company asked them to wear flannel. Oh, really? Steve admitted、yeah. this. Steve talked about this in an interview that the record company asked them to wear flannel, and. They toured with Van Halen with this album, and、uh, the tour was already booked and sold before this album was actually finished. So this was a major selling point with Steve to go tour with Van Halen plus to make this record. So yeah, it's like his entry point into like proper rock. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. And, th- and think also that this is an era where grunge was hitting. So yeah, how do you really sell yourself? When when that's happening, and you're trying to rock it out, but you're not trying to be too、uh, too 80s or whatever, like but find your own avenue with this. Try to make something fresh and new. And you know, I think、uh, I love all the solos in here, but sometimes I think in that era, I can understand why this didn't blow up as big because you know tastes were changing back then. Yeah, it's kind of like what we were talking about, like in the last episode of No More Tears. What I, I'm always going off about because it's when I was in junior high. I love like early '90s, like very early '90s, like '90 to '92, and it's like this is like one of those albums just released a year too late. It's like a '90 to '92 album, like No More Tears, where it's kind of hitting a lot of styles. And if the music going public was a little more open minded, like it was, I feel in the very early '90s, it would have. This album, I think, would have been huge if it was released in like '90 or '91, and if they had released better singles.、Yeah. But but '93, ah,、oh, they just missed it. They just missed it. Like just people were just closed-minded to this stuff by this、yeah. point, and it didn't help that they released the songs that were mo- that would have made people the most closed-minded to it. And <laughs> this is one of them. So, what do you think of Sister Pain, Eric? Oh man, I mean, it's a fun, catchy song. Uh, you know, it's definitely the Motley Crue sounding song, and I think it's a great, you know, great second track for an album. Like I said, the first song is kind of like it sounds like the opening of a show. It's real heavy. It's like, yeah, we're here, motherfuckers. And this song's kind of like the, all right, we're here now. Now let's party. You know, kind of like the one-two punch of、uh, Destroyer with Detroit Rock City and then King of the Nighttime World. So I really, I really dig this song. It's pretty cool. Definitely agree, though. It probably was a bad choice for the first single.、Um, did, did you guys watch the music video at all? Yeah, I liked the video, but I, yeah, again, I、yeah. could, but, but I could see why that would seem I, like an '80s video in yeah, 1993. I, I, 
I made a point for these two reviews we're doing tonight. Uh, just, you know, I made a point to watch every music video. And uh, I, I remembered this one because I had seen it before, like, when I was in high school. <laughs> I just remember the the actress in there, like, playing the girl. She, I was like, wow, she looks like some chick from one of those real cheesy, like, early 90s uh, porno videos that's like a sci-fi theme. But, and of course, it's <laughs> uh, it's that... That porn star that uh, Vince Neil made that sex tape with, uh, Jillian Noonanmeyer or some shit like that. Oh, Jenny Lundemeyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. She, she was fucking hot, too, because I saw that, I saw that sex tape with, uh, with Vince and, uh, and what, uh, Janine Lugendugan, you know, whatever her name is. <laughs> what, what, besides the, what, she's married to Jesse James, the West Coast chopper dude, I think. Oh, Are you guy? serious? Yeah. God oh. damn. Besides the Vince Neil tape, what what did she do? What like anything noteworthy? I I don't even know, but uh, I, I know that Vince Neil tape it made me feel very good about myself. You know, Tommy Lee the Tommy Lee sex <laughs> tape made me feel bad. I was like, oh no, you know. But then I saw Vince Neil's, I'm like, oh all right, cool. Life ain't that bad, you know. <laughs> uh, let me tell you something. That sister was feeling no fucking pain because Vince <laughs> is not packing a lot. <laughs> that was a quick pain. It was like what two, two minutes. <laughs> Yeah, but no, it's it's a good song though. Um, I dig it, and I, I like the cheesy fucking video. And it's it's weird. It's kind of that like early '90s video where it's not quite the '80s. It's like an episode of Saved by the Bell. It's not quite the eight. It's not the '80s anymore. But it's not the '90s hasn't found itself yet. It hasn't found its identity. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. But I dig the song. Great second track to begin an album. It's a good stripper song too. For like oh yeah, great stripper song. Yep, so now uh, I'll take the next one. Can't can't have your cake. <laughs> I'd oh like to, believe me, I want to love a song called Can't, can't Have Your Cake. It's like, uh, uh, any way you slice it, kiss. <laughs> I, I, like, I, like, I like when a song has a corny cliche for a title. Uh, but that being said, this is my least favorite song on the album. Hey, the oh. guitar works great. The guitar works, it goes without saying, it's great throughout this whole album. Because it's Steve Stevens. So he makes this song a little bit better than it should be. It's it's all right and it's not bad. I just think it's filler. It's the most fill, fillerish song on this album, I think. And you know me, I like a nice tight ten song album. You know, agreed. So, so this is actually the song I would cut out. It would be a decent B side. I think it's fine as a B side. But if I had to pick a song that I think is the weakest. I'd go with this one. It's all right. It's not bad. But to me, it's filler compared to all the other songs. And the fucking crazy thing is, I'm looking at this. According to the Wikipedia page, I didn't know this. I don't even know if there's a video for it. But this was the fourth single. <laughs> they made a video for it, too. They did? I was like, God. You didn't see the video for it? It has well, Pam I, Anderson in it. Oh, I'll have to check that out. I oh, haven't actually seen I'll, that. I'll talk about it when we get when oh, I get to my turn. I, well, I'll watch that right after we do this episode, because <laughs> I want to see it. I, I was like, what, of all the songs, you released this as a fucking single? <laughs> this song on the album. Ah, crazy, crazy. But anyway, so that's what I think. Great guitar work, but the song is... By the standards of all the other songs on the album, I think is mediocre. Would have been a decent B-side, in my opinion. So what do you think of it, Vincent? Yeah, I can't uh, push this one away because it's got Steve killing it always. So it's kind of hard for me to like find anything wrong. But I do agree it's one of the weaker ones because of the lyrics being kind of corny. Yeah. You I know. do like that intro. Of course, the the guitar intro. Like Steve Stevens is doing, he's doing his best to make the song a little something more. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, yeah it just isn't. What do, what do you think of it, Eric? Well, I Edwin, I probably would have been like on the same page as you, but then I saw the fucking video <laughs> and I got it. I just fucking got it. I saw that video. I'm like, oh shit, this song fucking rules. <laughs> the music video has everything I love about you know hair metal videos. It's got chicks. It's got cars. It's got you know just. Yeah, that's all. It, you know, um, it has Pam Anderson in it. Who, uh, you know, that's that's the reason Tommy Lee hates Vince Neil so much because because uh, Vince Neil Vince Neil was inside there first. Even though you know Vince Neil has like you know one eighth of the dick uh, Tommy Lee <laughs> has. Tommy Lee can't stand that. But yeah, yeah, Pam Anderson. You know, back when she was really good looking, you know, she's in this video and it's. Yeah, it's a good cheesy video. It has like Vince in the band, like on the back of like you know sports cars, you know playing the song while these cars are flying. Pam Anderson being all sexy and like him at a school dance. It's like that's cheesy '80s like hair metal videos, but I fucking love it. And you know, once I saw the video, I kind of like I got the fun of the song. I agree, it's me not one of the best songs on the album, but it's fun. I, I like it, you know, and it's kind of it's kind of what Vince does best. He likes that, you know cheesy like fun time hair metal music you know so i if like i gave it a rating i maybe give it a three out of five all right all right well uh the next song i'll take fine fine wine which is kind of more of the same but i think better i think this is a better song uh i love songs that have wine in the title like a lot of those Def Leppard songs, uh, me and my wine, <laughs> and it's it's just a fun. Again, this this sounds like a Motley Crue song. It sounds like it'd be a better than average Motley Crue song from the late '80s. Like if this was on Doctor Feel Good or Girls, 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 it would be one of the better songs on the album. Of course, the same Steve Stevens, you know, doing great guitar work. Vince sounds great though, and like I said before about the melodies, like this sounds like classic catchy Motley Crue melodies. And Nikki Six doesn't do anything that sounds like Motley Crue melodies without Vince. Even when Vince rejoined the band, they kind of kept him from doing that, I think. I don't know. Mm-hmm. To me, this sounds more like Motley Crue than anything Motley Crue did afterwards, even with Vince. Yeah. So even Tattoo You, to me, the melodies are not like, as they don't pop like this does. So, I don't know. I feel like it was coming from Vince. And then, you know, Vince, you know, just started getting paychecks and didn't give a fuck anymore. But yeah. I feel like when Vince cared, I feel like kind of like Ozzy. I th- think he came up with good melodies. Like maybe people came in and helped him with the lyrics. But I don't know. I just have a strong suspicion that Vince was doing a lot of the melodies for Motley Crue. Because again, this stuff just it just sounds like classic Motley Crue melodies. It's a fun song. It's rocking. It's a. I wouldn't say it's definitely not like single worthy, but it's a good. This is what I'd call killer filler. It's killer filler. It's a party. I like it a lot. What do you think of it, Vincent? It's absolutely nothing wrong with party metal and party music, you know? I think that this is probably the beginning of the end of that sort of era when we liked these kinds of party songs. Like, in terms of public popularity, this is definitely the foreshadow of the ending of the types of metal cliches of the 80s of of that type of music. Of course, until Steel Panther came back with with all of it. (laughs) But uh, one of my favorite things in this song is just something he does in the solo. Like, he's just got this machine gun-like riffage that is so... It's it's definitely a Steve Stevens uh, staple of his technique. I, I love this this solo with uh, some of the stuff he does in it. It just um, It's just like a rapid-fire machine gun. That's the way he handles it. 
Awesome. What do you think of it, Eric? Fine, fine wine. This song is a fine, fine song. <laughs> uh, it's <laughs> it the opening, especially the beginning of the song. It reminds me kind of like same old situation. Uh, the only difference is this is actually a good song. Uh, I think Phil Susan and Steve uh, or Phil Susan and Vince Neil who wrote this song. I think they're like, hey, uh, that same old situation song. Let's take that song, but like actually make it good. You know, and they succeeded. It's a fun time party song. Uh, you know, the, Vince Neil was making better Motley Crue music than Motley Crue could because he actually had good songwriters. You know, because this, this album, you know, it ages like a fine, fine wine, and Motley Crue music ages like a fucking carton of milk in a sauna. <laughs> <laughs> I dig this song, man. It's fun. I'm loving this album so far, and uh, this is definitely one of the tracks I kind of forgot about, you know, because I hadn't heard this album so long. And, man, this song was just fun. It put me in a good fucking mood. Uh, great party time song, but uh, all of a sudden it leads into a little bit of a darker and a little bit of a heavier song. Vincent, why don't you talk about the next song, which is The Edge. Oh, you know that this is like going to be definitely a favorite for me, especially yeah. with that flamenco intro. Uh, since Steve, uh, one of his cornerstones of his playing is flamenco, because one of his early teachers was a super talented flamenco guitarist. So that was always something Steve had in his back pocket. And he didn't really unleash it until some of the later albums in his career. But, oh, this song just kills it for me. I mean, his, his skill set is on display all over. But... He doesn't even overplay that flamenco part. He just goes right into the rock guitar part. Like, he wasn't trying to, to beat you over the head with it. He just gives you just enough, and then pow, right into the hard, heavy rock. And it's also really ambitious, this song. Like, the way the chorus changes, and the way they sing those parts, um, just the way the chord structure works. It's, it's definitely Steve all over this. And uh, I love the way it turns from flamenco straight into rock, and then it has this really... A unique um, chord change that has this uh, really different sounding thing. You wouldn't ex even expect this kind of thing from from Vince. So when I when I first put this on, I was just like, okay, ah, oh, well, damn, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Steve is just throwing you sideways. I mean, I, I can imagine when Motley Crue was sitting around listening to this uh, in the room, and they brought it in when. Uh, they put this on the turntable, they must have been flipping out. Like, what the fuck was that? You know? Because <laughs> Steve is just in charge here, for sure. Absolutely. I, I'm i going to go ahead and talk about this song, because this is probably... I mean, it's almost like neck and neck with uh, Look In Her Eyes as, like, my favorite song off the album. I still give the edge to Look In Her Eyes, but this song fucking kicks ass, and... Mm -hmm. I, I agree you, Vince. I love the fact that uh, he does that flamenco stuff, but he only does it just a little bit. He he works for the song. It's not like he's overdoing it to show off. He he puts just the right amount in there. Um, and I didn't even know Steve Stevens did flamenco guitar or anything until I heard someone someone in our comment section when I posted a picture of Steve Stevens on our page mentioned something about flamenco guitar. I'm like, this motherfucker does flamenco guitar and when I revisited this album, like, oh yeah, you know, so, I like this song, man, it's fucking epic, some heavy-ass guitar, man, this is like, this is stuff that would have attracted the, you know, the people that hate Motley Crue, they're more into, like, the Slave to the Grind, Skid Row, Pantera, maybe, it's just got some heavy-ass fucking riffs in there, yeah, uh, 
it, it's just so fucking metal it made my balls fucking hurt. <laughs> I just <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you guys heard it, but uh, doesn't this sound kind of like an Ozzy song? Like you know, he always had the epic song on his albums. This sounds yeah. like it could be like an Ozzy like ep- like his epic song on the album. Like, yeah, with some of the musical changes with the guitar and stuff, the jumping yeah. from the acoustic to the electric, yeah. I Even can totally course. hear Ozzy doing this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this song fucking rules. Edwin, what do you think of The Edge? Well, obviously, I think it rules because of fucking science. <laughs> 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 For a long time, this was my favorite song on the album. It's actually got knocked down to two because of this offbeat gonzo song that we're gonna you guys might already know what it is just because i said that <laughs> this <laughs> offbeat curveball of a song that i've grown to love and it's one of my favorite things vince neal's ever done but this is still an easy second favorite uh like i said look in her eyes is my third favorite so like you eric i do think they're kind of neck and neck and this is the other song i was talking about this is the song either this or look in her eyes would have been a great <clears throat> first single Either one. Either one, to me, I understand you can't kind of release both of them, but one of them would have been a great way to introduce this album and say, hey, this is Vince kicking ass in a way that he didn't quite do in Motley Crue. Mm-hmm. Either way, this song would have served that purpose as a lead-off single that was like a mission statement. And I think it's crazy that it wasn't either Look In Her Eyes or The Edge. Either way, it would have, you know... You know, done done what it needed to do to kind of get some attention. And like you said, Eric, bring in some people that just didn't like Motley Crue. You know, not just the Motley Crue people, but some other people. The Edge is amazing, and it's even more unique. I think the look in your eyes, like I said, sounds a bit like Dawkins. The Edge sounds a little like Ozzy, but it's also like Steve Stevens is just doing some really original shit here. The flamenco guitar, the way it just so seamlessly goes into the heavy parts, but then it snaps back, you know, for that mid middle section when it gets acoustic again, then snaps back again. It's flawless musicianship, flawless guitar playing. It, Vince is holding his own. That's the thing. Vince Neil's singing along with this music, and he's nailing it. Yeah. And, you know, it's the song has an edge, and it, the lyrics are great, and the vibe of the song. I love it. It's amazing. Anyone that wants to fucking throw shit at Vince Neil... Listen to the goddamn Edge. Tell me the Edge is not just an awesome song. It's one of the best songs he ever did, you know? And it blows away pretty much everything Motley Crue did, in my opinion, after Shout at the Devil. The song, Yeah. So, yeah, it's awesome. Love it. All right. Uh, You know, I guess I'm going to take I'm going to take the next song. Can't change me. Uh. Yeah, you, you can't change me, but I'm definitely going to change this song. It's fucking horrible. <laughs> uh, one thing I will say about, you know, this album isn't perfect, but it's definitely the opposite of a Motley Crue album. You know, this album's like a great album with a couple of bad songs, whereas a Motley Crue album, you get one or two good songs, and the rest is a bunch of shit. Uh, so fuck you, Nikki Six. <laughs> it, it's funny, the... Uh, I heard the opening of the song with that guitar, and uh, for a second I thought my iPod was on shuffle because it sounded a lot like that "Show Me the Meaning of Being Lonely" by Backstreet Boys. Like <laughs> uh, I'm waiting for like uh, Nick uh, Nick Carr to come in, like "Show Me the Meaning of Being Lonely." Uh, <laughs> That's pretty good, Eric. Maybe you could be in a boy band. <laughs> yeah, I should be in a fucking boy band. <laughs> but uh, oh, this this definitely you know. 
this is a very long album. If they were to cut like some songs to make it like a ten track album, this would be the one I would cut out of this. It's just horrible, and uh, the mu- there's a music video for this one as well. It's nothing to write home about. It's just Vince Neil in the studio with the band. It's like black and white. He's got female singers. Horrible fucking song. Uh, but then again, though, like I said, it's it's just you know Vince Neil. He has a couple bad songs on this album. It's otherwise perfect. Uh, whereas Motley Crue has one or two good songs on a Shea album. So Vincent, <laughs> yeah. uh, why don't you take uh, Can't Change Me? I'm going to have to agree with you here because uh, I want to change it when I hear it, even though it's <laughs> Steve on it. <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, they're doing their best with it. They, I think they, this is something where they were probably told, you should have this kind of song on here. You guys, put this put this kind of song in there. Um just because the, the chorus just gets too too much and too repetitive at the end, I, I can't can't handle it. <laughs> like I see what you I see where you guys are going with it, and uh, I wonder if they did this live because I know that they had some they had to be adjusting themselves because after they toured with Van Halen and had that big stage, they were playing small venues when they were touring for this record, so. I know that it's uh, it was a hard change for them. I think that's also when Steve was reevaluating if he wanted to be continuing to do this further. But you know, as for the song, I I, I see I know where they're going with it, but like, yeah, I I think uh, I don't really need to hear this one <laughs> much in the future. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, can't change me. I like the song better than you guys. I uh, I don't hate it, uh, and I would keep it on the album. Uh, but definitely shouldn't have been the ballot that they picked to release. Yeah. Uh, I'm, a spoiler alert, there is a ballot <laughs> later on <laughs> that I think would have been the much better choice to release as the quote-unquote ballot to release as a single. So it's really, it's confounding that they picked this one over the other one, to me. Uh, it's like crazy. But it's all right. It's an all right second ballot if you got to have a second ballot on the album. It's I'll say this, it's kind of like, maybe I like it, this song a little bit better than you guys, because I immediately thought to myself, this is time for change, <laughs> but a little bit better. This is like yeah. time for change. Yeah. It, it, but it's a little bit better. It's a little less overblown. It's a little bit, it's a little more subtle compared to that song. It doesn't hit you over the head quite as much. You know, and it's a it's a little more reined in. It's like a kind of slightly more mature version of Time for Change that doesn't suck quite as ba- as badly. Uh, so not a great song. Definitely, probably I think uh, the second like weakest track on the album. Not great. Definitely shouldn't have been a single. But I don't hate it like you guys. And one thing I do kind of like, I do like the message. Whereas like Time for Change was kind of this hokey, like, we are the world kind of song. Yeah. Whereas at least this is personal. This is just like, and it kind of fits both Vince Neil and Steve Stevens, you know, who, like you were saying, Vincent, they're in this crossroads where everyone's telling them to be different. Mm-hmm. And this is like the, their little personal anthem saying, you can't change me. You know, like, we're being true. We're being true to ourselves. Yeah, it could have been a better song that conveyed this message, but I do like that message. And so I don't think it's one of those ballads that's like written just to have a hit. I do think Vince is kind of expressing himself and saying, hey, you can't change me. You know, Vince, you know, it's funny, like a year later, Nikki Six would be acting ashamed of Motley Crue and what they were, you know, and he was throughout the dirt. Vince Neil never acted ashamed of that of that music. He loved that music and he still loves that music. 
And I feel like this ballad is kind of about that. So I do like that message. Not one of the stronger songs on the album, but I like the message, and it's better than Time for Change. <laughs> well, hey, real quick, before we go into the next song, uh, I just looked it up. This song was actually written by uh, Tommy Shaw and Jack Blades, which makes sense because huh. it sounds like really bad damn Yankees. Yeah, it does kind of make sense. And they have the same producer. This, so. this is like the fucking, this is like a song that was on the cutting room floor, and they're like, oh, fuck this song. You know, this ain't going to be good enough for the album. Uh, hey, Vince, here, take it. Well, you know, if it's probably listened to it, but he probably connected with the lyrics because he's like, that's right, you can't change me. So he, he went and did it. <laughs> but that does kind of make sense. Because he was still carrying the torch for Time for Change throughout this book. Yeah, but th- it's definitely better in Time for Change. you got to yeah. admit that. Oh, yeah. yeah. So there it's, you go. So a very so even with this hokey ballot, he topped Molly Crew. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, we're talking about covers next. Uh, let's talk about uh, Vincent. What do you think of this cover of a sweet song, Set Me Free? Well, uh, another thing to know that uh, Steve is a big Sweet fan. He's even covered um, Action on the Atomic Playboys album. So, nice. Yeah, and obviously Vince is a big influence too. The singer sounded very similar to Vince. Uh, so, and Motley Crue loves Sweet. Yeah, so I'm sure that's something that probably Steve Stevens and Vince probably got drunk and talked about sweet, and this probably led to this album because they they're both fans. Yeah, so yeah, so definitely they did no wrong with uh, both of their performances on this. Uh, you know, I'm always I, I like when they do covers because it just shows you where their influences are and you know what what really brought them to where they are today. And, and it's it's nice that they did a sweet song. Uh, I still prefer other songs on the album over it, but, um, you know, I, I like some of these, uh, like you were saying before, the killer filler. Yeah, I, I agree totally. Just yeah, well, I'll, that. yeah, I'll take it be, uh, next because, yeah, I think it's killer filler. Uh, not one of the best songs on the album, but it's, it's, a, it's a great way to kick off, like, the second side if they had this just be a 10-song album. Uh, it, it, God damn, Steve Stevens. He's really cooking on this song, you know, and I listened to that original Sweet cover, and the original Sweet song's pretty rocking and good, but this is better. I think this version's better than the original Sweet song. I think Vince is singing better than the Sweet singer, and I think Steve Stevens, fuck, he's just tearing it up. He's really shredding, doing great stuff. So this is ideally what a cover should be. You know, you take, you, you respect the original, but you, you, you know, add your own flavor to it, and you kind of take shit to the next level. It's a great rocker, amazing guitar work, and yeah, God, just think about this compared to like the Motley Crue version of that like Sex Pistols song. <laughs> you know, it's like he's fucking owning that shit with this. Him and Steve Stevens are just owning this shit. It's great cover, great album track, killer filler. What do you think of it, Eric? Uh, this song fucking rules. Um, I always love the sweet version. Um, and man, this, this is a band that like, you know, the sweet, they're a band that like influenced a lot of guys, you know, whether it's Vince Neil, uh, Steve Stevens, Nikki Six, uh, even like Armored Saint. Uh, those guys I've heard in interviews talk about how the sweet was an influence on them. Uh, this song fucking rules though. It's like one of the sweets, like heavier, like, you know, metal songs. Um, and man, just. I'm thankful that Vince uh, covered this song with Steve Stevens and not Nikki Six. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, he actually had someone that could actually play, uh, record the song with him. Uh, it's just man, <laughs> there's a story in the dirt with Nikki Six about like uh, you know he he wrote to Brian Connolly or something 
or sent him like demo tapes, and Brian Connolly like straight up told him like, "Yeah, you kind of suck, kid." And uh, <laughs> man, Brian Connolly was fucking right. Uh, Nikki Six, you fucking suck. <laughs> Brian Connolly was right. Um, so thank God Vince Neil covered the song with uh, a real musician, uh, Steve <laughs> Stevens. Uh, killer cover, man. I fucking love it. Uh, you know, this album's just kicking so much ass, and it's a great way to recover after kind of like one of the weaker songs off the album. So, uh, Edwin, I- I'm going to let you talk about the next track, which is Living is a Luxury. Have you guys figured out yet what my favorite song on the album is? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, here we fucking go. <laughs> oh. Uh, it's funny. Living is a Luxury is a song I recall when I first heard this album years ago. I was like, what the fuck's this song? <laughs> <laughs> and But over the years, crept in there. Kept growing, growing. And especially this week, after listening to this album a couple times, I was like, fuck it. Living is a Luxury is my favorite song on the album. Ooh. I love this. It's the ladies' night in Buffalo of this album, which happens to be my favorite song on that album. <laughs> so, Hell yeah. It's jazzy, and I do like jazz. So I, I think how much you like jazz might uh, affect how much you like this song. It is definitely the most experimental, interesting song on this album. It's uh, to describe it for people who haven't listened to it, but it's essentially a rock jazz hybrid. You know, it's it's hard rocking in spots, but it also has a loungy kind of Vegas jazz quality to quality to it. It does it does a lot of stuff that really shouldn't work, but it does. Like Steve Stevens, again the guitar work, but also his amazing bass playing. It's funny because I was this is how I found out Steve Stevens was playing bass because this song I was listening to it and I was like, God damn, this is really good bass playing throughout this album. Who's this bassist? <laughs> and then I looked up and I found out <laughs> it actually wasn't Robbie uh, Crane who was like touring for the album and was in the videos and stuff. It's actually Steve Stevens. <laughs> he played all the bass. He played all the rhythm guitar, lead guitar, and all the bass. He just took it all over. Just fucking bogarted that shit. <laughs> and just listen, I was like, God damn, he's a great bass player. It's a lot like, you know, Vincent, uh, it's like, like Prince, you know, like you'll hear a bass line, you go, damn, that's a great bass line. And then, of course, it's Prince, <laughs> you yes. know. Yeah, uh, it's amazing bass line, amazing guitar. It shows Steve Stevens, man, this guy can do it all. He could do jazz, and it's like good jazz. This is one of the things you know I said I love about like Jimmy Page or Tony Iommi or Robbie Krieger when they show that other side that when they show they can actually do jazzy shit, you yeah. know. And Prince mm-hmm. was like that as well, or Frank Zappa, you know. Uh, this is actually a song that could kind of be like a Frank Zappa song, I think. Actually, uh, it, it's just really unique. It's a great fusion of rock and jazz, and and normally I don't like. I have an issue with like like keyboard horns, but somehow I liked them on this song. I think it adds to the the kind of tacky Vegas vibe <laughs> to the song, which I kind of <laughs> like. And I think this should have been a kind of um, uh, a kind of Gonzo video. I think this this would have been the uh, this I would have said the lead off single should have been "Look in Your Eyes" or "The Edge." The second song should have been a ballot that we didn't get to. And I would have said this is like kind of a, a kind of offbeat third single video, you know, just to kind of because this is the mid 90s where people still haven't totally found her footing yet. And I kind of also think about like uh, 
Sensible Shoes with David Lee Roth, which yeah. was the only song that did anything from that album, you know, A Little Ain't Enough. Like, I feel like he could have, if he did a, this cool kind of grimy, kitschy Vegas video, like where they're in a casino somewhere <laughs> with like some, like, like beaten, like kind of trashy looking, like been around the block kind of a chorus girl dancing and stuff. A velvet I, jacket. Yeah, exactly. I feel like there could have been a little kitsch factor to this video that might have got him a little of attention. And people would have been like, oh, well, this is different, Vince Neil. And it's funny because years later, a thing that I love Vince Neil for is that trouble he got to with Nicolas Cage up in Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) Remember those pictures? And to me, this song kind of sums that up. It like foreshadowed that. Like, this is his Vegas song. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's also like a little like the Doors and the Soft Parade, which I I love that album. And I yeah. I, know, I just to me this is like the ultimate. It's like it's like hard rock and lounge lizard music, and it's just a really cool song. And yeah, it's my fucking favorite song on the album. And I know it's an offbeat choice, but I just fucking love this song. And it just showed. I feel like if this album was well received. Vince would have went into a far more interesting musical direction. Like, you know, people like this album, it's sold well. Him and Steve Stevens probably would have stuck together, at least for one more album, if it was well-received and, you know, they were playing big venues and stuff. And I feel like those two guys, they, they just would have created a lot of cool albums. You know, unfortunately, the music scene got lame and very restrictive in the mid-90s. So I feel like we got kind of robbed of this really cool, creative partnership. You know, I feel like Vince Neil... And, but then again, even like in the late 80s, because David Lee Roth, as much as I love him, he fucked up this beautiful relationship he had with Billy Sheenan oh, and yeah. Steve Vai because of the direction yeah. he wanted to push the music into, you know? And I feel like, you know, like, so we kind of got robbed of that too. Like, you listen to Eat Him and Smile and said, oh, well, this, these guys should release a whole bunch of albums that are awesome. Yeah. And, and this is kind of similar. Like, you listen to this and you feel like Steve Stevens and Vince Neil are not running out of ideas anytime soon. Like, these guys could have several, you know, really strong albums. But just because of the situations and because it's easier to get pissed off at each other and not get along when things aren't going well. You know what I mean? So I feel like if things had gone well and this album had, had done well, maybe these guys would have stuck it out and gave us good music. And songs like living is a luxury would have you know gave us an insight to where they they could have went anywhere these guys could have done anything and vince is pulling it off and i also also love one it's great lyric where he says uh you know it it is when he says you know when she says goes she goes go to hell she tells him go to hell and he goes i know that place well yeah love it yeah it's a great vibe i just love that and love this song i love the swagger it's fucking Vince Neil's swaggering Vegas song, and him and Steve Stevens are killing it. But I guess I gushed about this song for like 30 minutes. So now, what, what do you think of it, Vincent? <laughs> well, I think you did a lot of gushing for me because this is like my second favorite song off the record. Right on! You know, the every, everything you said, but also that bass playing is just tight. It's got such a nice groove to it. It's got a nice swing to it. And... It's got Steve, and Vince is also killing it. It's like, I I really don't have complaints with this one. I, I had to check, too, to see who was playing bass, and I was like, ah, there it is. Steve did it again. You know, so. He did it again. <laughs> but I really like the vibe in this song. It's just it's just got a really good feel to it, and, and the whole jazz thing. Also, if you want to hear Steve do another jazz thing, listen to um, 
World's Forgotten Boy in uh, the Whiplash Smile Billy Idol album because he goes into this incredible, incredible guitar solo that breaks into a George Benson type of jazz run and then he just comes back into killing it with his uh, you know regular rock sound. But yeah, that's a good yeah, I, song. I should definitely check that out. I haven't listened to, and we'll talk more about this when we do the Billy Idol episode, but I haven't listened to a lot of uh, later like post Rebel Yell Billy Idol album, so I really should. Ooh. But but I, I just want to say one more thing. You reminded me. <laughs> you reminded me, man. Other thing I love about this song. God damn that guitar solo. Yeah. It's so hard. It's like hard rocking and jazzy at the same time. It kind of reminds me of like some of the guitar solos on like um on like a Megadeth album almost. You know, like especially like P cells he was buying, where there's a little bit of a strange jazzy influence. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, because he also played jazz. It, it reminds me of that. It's like it's really heavy and he's shredding, but it's jazzy at the same time. It's like just it's one of the great guitar solos, and it just man, you just listen to it and you go, "Fuck, goddamn, Steve Stevens is a motherfucker." Yeah. So what? What do you think of it, Eric? Uh, Edwin, I, <laughs> Edwin, I just, uh, I hope you changed your underwear uh, after gushing so much over that song. <laughs> goddamn. So uh, I I hey I can't I can't dis- disagree with you man. Living living as a luxury is a fucking amazing song, and I love it because it is so different. It is like you know the ladies' night in Buffalo on the song. It's kind of he takes a left turn, but it just works. He makes it work, and holy shit, Steve Stevens just rips out a great fucking solo. Um, you know it's great, man. I like the fact that he's doing kind of this loungy kind of sound, and I can see this being a you know kind of a cool video, like Vince Neil, like a a black you know like hat, fedora hat or something, like snapping his finger at a casino or something, some black and white video. I can see that. I can see that working for this song. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a fucking cool song. It's fucking Vince being Vince. You know this motherfucker wants to go out to Vegas and gamble and pick up chicks and. uh I love that someone made a fucking video of like him and Nicolas Cage getting drunk as shit at uh oh. at Las Vegas to the song. Hey Vincent, could you do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ralph Vier, Doctor Fuck, can you do a video like that? Oh, wait, yeah, Ralph's the guy. Sorry, Vincent, you've been upstage. Uh, Ralph's yeah. Well, no, Ralph Vieira and Vincent get together and do this kind of video. Because <laughs> okay. Ralph does make great uh, fan videos. He does these amazing videos. Yeah. Uh, and I think I would surprise me if he likes this song, because I know he does like this album. So, yeah, I mean, if you could get that footage. <laughs> <laughs> or you just hire two actors that look like them and just make some footage. Oh, uh, great. And it's, yeah, it's the ultimate fucking Vince Neil. He's going to Vegas and he's fucking burning that shit down. Like he's he's ending the night in a woman or in jail. <laughs> I should Photoshop him into Fear and Loathing Las Vegas scene. Yeah, that could be good. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's just got that vibe, and that's why I, mean. I feel like this song and video could have been a dark horse surprise hit. You know, it was a period. Ninety three was a year where you could have had an offbeat hit like this. You know, yeah. Instead of trying to go for the more Motley Crue sounding songs, he they they should have took a chance on stuff like this. You know, because Kitsch, the whole Kitsch thing in camp, you know, was kind of popular at that time. You know, a year or two later, you had like Weezer and those videos. So I feel like he could have kind of touched upon that and had a kind of you know a a fun kind of like a funny gimmicky kind of but fitting for the song kind of video i think it could have got some attention on mtv i really do 
Yeah, I got, I got that. Just uh, when I saw that casino stuff, uh, it was like to me, it's like reality is better than you ex- than you think it's going to be. Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm a huge Nicolas Cage fan too, so I was like, oh my god, Nicolas Cage and Vince Neil's are bros. They go out <laughs> and they, they 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 date strippers and they get into trouble in, in Vegas. Oh my god. I didn't know this was happening. <laughs> and then I was like, oh my god, the reality kicks fucking ass. <laughs> can't make this stuff up. You can't For make real. this stuff up. You can't get this stuff anymore. Okay, let's talk about you're invited, but your friend can't come, which is not oh. the Encino Man version, but a new version with Steve Stevens, because if you got Steve Stevens, why wouldn't you fucking record the song over again? <laughs> so, <laughs> what do you think, Vincent, about this this Steve Stevenized version of You're Invited But Your Friend Can't Come? It's funny because at the time when this came out, I was kind of like, Steve, what are you doing with Vince Neil? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I, I know where they were going with, like, the, the whole catchy, like, you know, thing with it, but I was like, I wasn't really prepared for this at the time, so now looking back, it's it's really entertaining. But you know, I'm I'm coming from the whole Billy Idol vibe of Steve, and then to to hear him do something like this, which you know, like is a Motley Crue type of song, it's like, huh? It was kind of puzzling to me. But I remember the video, and I remember uh, you know listening to it back in the day, and I was like, wow, like what's going to happen next for all these guys, like. I, I wondered if they were going to make more albums, and they should have made more albums. But um, the song, for, as it as it stands for me, was just kind of a puzzler at the time because, you know, Vin, why why is Vince doing this? Why is Steve doing this with him? Why was this all happening? And then like, oh, okay, the the whole fallout with the crew, and then like, you know, everybody was trying to find a new way to to be themselves. And this to me was like, you know, one of those kitschy hits. You know, it's definitely something you'd want to, uh, you know, going around with your boys and like going to pick up chicks is definitely a song you'd listen to back in the day. That was just uh, entertaining. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a Wayne's World type of song or yeah. like a Bill and Ted kind of song. Like it could have been on one of those soundtracks just as easily as Encino Man. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll take I'll pick it up. I mean, this I I I recall when I heard the, the soundtrack version and saw that video, I didn't like it so much because compared to, like, what he was doing with Motley Crue, like, some of the feel-good stuff in Primal Scream, which I love, this seemed a little light. And I was like, oh, this is kind of fluffy, you know. It, uh, but this version's a little heavier, and Steve Stevens' guitar work does punch it up a bit, so I do like this version better than the, the Encino Man version. It's a little stronger. Still not one of the best songs, better songs on the album, in my opinion, but... You know, I get why, like, in 92, and for, like, Encino Man, they would think it'd be a good lead-off, like, solo single for Vince Neil. Of course, by the time you get to 93, this is, like, one of those songs again that sounds a little too much like a Motley Crue song that it's, it's, it's definitely, it's not one of the stronger tracks, but I do like it. I get why in 92 they thought it might be a thing. And, you know, I recall even watching him perform this, you know, in the MTV Video Awards. And I think Steve Stevens was with him for that. Yeah. And yep. he performed it. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, it, it's, it's, it's a good, tr- it's a good album track. I'm glad that's on the album, this version. It's good to hear Steve Stevens playing on the song. And, but it's, it's not one of the better songs, in my opinion. What do you think? 
Eric. Oh man, I fucking love this song. It's fucking catchy as shit. Um, uh, apparently Vince Neil wrote this song. Uh, he had uh, all these groupies that would come, you know, backstage at the shows. Uh, but they there's this one groupie in particular who always brought her friend. And Vince Neil didn't want that guy coming because he kept eating all the food in the buffet <laughs> afterwards. And Vince Neil's like, "Oh no, fuck that! You ain't touching my KFC." <laughs> so uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I like this song, man. Uh, it's a fun song. Like I said, I grew up with Encino, man. I loved that movie. My brother would always rent it from Blockbuster or Hollywood Video, you know, whatever video store he went to. Um, so I, I love Pauly Shore movies, man. Those early Pauly Shore movies when he was the fucking weasel, <laughs> you know, it was fun. You know, I, I like it. You know, this, uh, you know, the song's catchy. It's not, you know, really one of the greatest songs ever, but it's fun. I like it. You know, it takes me back to that time of being a kid. Uh, and it reminds me of like the, you know, like you said, Ed, when the early nineties, when, you know, it's like that picture you talked about where it's like, you know, Young MC, James Hetfield, Ozzy Osbourne, and all these guys all together. Because uh, if you look at the Encino Man soundtrack, there's a very, like, wide variety of music on that album. You know, you got Steve Vai, Vince Neil, but then you got, like, you know, Tone Loke and uh, some hip-hop stuff. You got Infectious Grooves, which is kind of like Red Hot Chili Peppers funk kind of music. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it, it was a pretty cool time period. I think the early 90s were really great and they could have been better if they didn't do the whole division thing with uh with grunge and you know dividing everyone cuz I think the early 90s were sounding a lot like, you know, how the 70s were where you had just this eclectic uh mix of music. Um yeah, do you guys were you guys fans of Encino Man or any Polly Shore movies? I know you guys were probably uh you guys are obviously a little bit older during that time period and probably would have been the right age for me, those movies. I, I would have been, I, uh, yeah, I'm in the middle here. Uh, Vince, it's a little older and you're a lot younger than both of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I was actually the, per- I was the perfect age for it, but yet I didn't like it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I was a little cynical of Pauly Shore. I, you know, I was like a headbanger. I was into like thrash and grunge and stuff. So he seemed a little fluffy to me. <laughs> you know, MTV. So I thought he was kind of corny. You know, now in retrospect, I, I look back at it a little bit more fondly. You know, nostalgic as part of my teen years. And I did like, like I loved Wayne's World. I, I yeah, was huge Wayne's World. Yeah. But I, I was a big fan of Mike Myers and his in his writing. You know, as a comedic writer, he's actually one of my influences. Actually, as a writer, is Mike Myers. And so I, I was a big influence. I mean, Wayne's World was a big deal for me. And. I was a lot like Wayne Campbell in high school. Like, that oh, character yeah. was a lot like me. So I connected with him. But for whatever, Paulie Shore just seemed like a flaky California guy to me. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I didn't really... I think because I was younger, I probably related... I, I liked Paulie Shore a little bit more. He seemed you know, I could definitely see how he could be annoying to maybe someone older at the time, but I, I loved Paulie Shore. I thought he was... Yeah. I thought he was funny. I, like, I can you know, see that because you're a child. As a yeah. child, he's kind of goofy. He's kind of like a cartoon character. Yeah, he really is. Nature, yeah. I was like, who's this bozo? <laughs> yeah. I think that was the same thing with me back in the day because he was a very California surfer type of dude, and like that, I had I have no exposure to that. I'm I'm from the Brooklyn streets, so. Yeah. To me, that's like all alien, but I, I kind of avoided some of his movies, but towards the end, I started to check some of them out, and, you know, now I can appreciate him. Now I know that he's actually a really cool guy in real life, like, you know, his his family owns the comedy store, I think. Yep. Yes. Yeah, he they, they own the com- Well, essentially, he owns the comedy store now. It was left yeah. to him. 
And, and he's had some really nice things to say about, you know, his career and stuff. Like, he's humbled, you know, he, he, he knows what he was, he knows what he's, what he's done and stuff, and he, and, you know, he's, he's his own man, whether you like him or hate him. So I kind of respect him for that. So I, I've grown to like him in, in the last, you know, couple years. So I didn't go to the video stores as much. I was too busy uh, recovering from hangovers from clubbing in those days. So <laughs> like I didn't a watch, man. Uh, I didn't watch a lot of those things. I, I'm lucky if I woke up at, at 5 p.m. most days. So. Yeah. yeah, I Dude, did not I, see any I, of that stuff. I, it's funny, though. I did watch Saved by the Bell, but, like, ironically. Ooh. But uh, I, I, that's the thing about Saved by the Bell. I don't know if everyone talks about this now. There was a whole group of people of us. I mean, a lot of us that all watched it ironically, and then that kind of made it what it is. Like, wh that's why everyone's so nostalgic for it. I mean, I don't, I don't. Maybe children were watching. I mean, Saved by the Bell was essentially a teenage show created and targeted for children. Like, it was on Saturday morning. I don't know if people. Well, the early seasons was like they were young kids, and then it yeah, turned into like they're like in high school. And yeah, but yeah. yeah, it's like it was on Saturday morning. I don't. Uh, and, people realize that like it was a saturday morning show that ran after the cartoons so it was it was literally targeted for very small children but that being said us teenagers all thought it was funny as shit <laughs> so <laughs> we all watched it because it was just so corny it was so over the top and corny and it's like oh this is like what they think teenagers are like so <laughs> yeah and it was like it was like a year or two before disney did like the hannah montana shit and all that stuff so it had like jump on that so it was like the first time you kind of saw a show so overtly like a kid's version of a teenage show so yeah. we all like watched that so yeah we uh, like i didn't watch the paulie shore shit but i watched save by the bell because i thought <laughs> it was funny as fuck <laughs> and, and all my friends we all watched it and laughed about it and then it's funny because now it's like now it's kind of like considered like now people are nostalgic for it but like in an unironic way <laughs> yeah well they got like so. a spinoff on peacock but oh my god i gotta tell you though uh encino man there's uh when I was like in high, when I was like me, like I think I was like fourteen. Um, there was this kid, this like young kid, and he was cool as fuck. Like uh, they're like uh, family friends, and uh, they used to. Uh, his dad was in a in a band, and they would play like clubs. They were like a cover, like a cover band. And uh, when he would play gigs, like in like Wisconsin or something, where they were going to be gone overnight, I would babysit for uh, their kid. And he was cool as fuck because you know he was he was young he was in elementary school but we'd hang out play video games and everything and uh, you know he was at that kind of that age where like he's not an obnoxious little kid but he was kind of cool you could hang out play video games with him watch movies and he always loved to watch Encino man like that was his like for whatever reason it was always like for free on on demand around the time I was babysitting him so we'd always watch that shit and he loved it and we'd always. Do like he'd always do the Poly Shore lingo, which is funny. <laughs> so there's one night where like I had to babysit him. Well, I got high as fuck with my friends before I even knew. <laughs> my mom calls me and she's like, "Hey, Gina called. She wants to know if you can watch her son tonight." And I'm like, "Oh, fuck," you know. And I'm I'm high as shit. And I'm like, "Yeah, I can I can do it." Because I didn't want to tell my mom I was high. And so I have to go over and babysit this kid, and I'm trying to, like, play it cool, and, like, I get, like, you know, she gives me, like, money, like, here, you know, order a pizza for you and Sean and whatnot. I order this pizza, man. I swear to God, I ate everything in their fucking pantry, dude. And he had this really hot sister at the time called, uh, this really hot sister at the time, Blair. 
uh, really hot blonde chick, and uh, I had the biggest crush on her. That's a great name for a hot blonde chick. Yeah, right for real. <laughs> and uh, I, I had been, I went over to a house party of theirs, and I impressed her. I was doing like some Doors covers, some Danzig covers Ooh. on karaoke, as they had a karaoke machine in their basement. But I was just in front of her too. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was I was so high and like I was like I was like you know just feeling ballsy and I had to sleep in her bedroom that night because she was out of town and uh, I legit like stole a pair of panties and I like put them in my <laughs> pocket. I was gonna take them to school the next day and show my friends to be like, oh yeah, look at what I got, you know, trying to be all cool. So, you know, that's shit you do when you're like me, like fourteen, you know. But. uh... <laughs> yeah. Uh, for the record, I do not endorse stealing underwear. Yeah. From, uh, from <laughs> anyone, whether it's a male, female, uh, <laughs> not, not binary, you should not be stealing underwear. It's inappropriate. Eric apologizes for doing I this do. past behavior. I saw it on SpongeBob. I thought it was a good idea. I was 14. I was high as fuck. You know, we all make dumb mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I've had my underwear stolen, so I don't know about. Rob, I had an ex girlfriend leave. Uh, I had an ex girlfriend way back leave a pair of panties like in my bedroom once, and they were nasty as fuck. Like I, I couldn't look at her the same way afterwards. Like they were, oh, it was it was disgusting. Uh, try be married for ten years. Now, anyway, oh, yeah, you'll yeah. see funkier <laughs> stuff than that, my friend. All right, let's move on. Yeah, I've seen it. some shit it's now that I've been married for a little bit. You know. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's get to the what, next What track. were we talking about? <laughs> we were talking about you're invited, but your friend can't come. But <laughs> oh, yeah, great song. <laughs> oh, that's also another Jack Blades and Tommy Shaw song. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah so let's get into Getting Hard. Uh, another uh, Neil Stevens, uh, Susan, Salson. How do you pronounce that guy's name? Neil Susan, I Susan. think. Yeah, the Aussie guy. So, yeah, and they pretty much have been writing all the best songs on the album, in my opinion. This, I agree. This trio. But uh, this is what I'd call it. It's just a good album track. It's a solid album track. Great guitar work. You know, we're going to sound like a broken record here. Great guitar work. More great bass work. Great bass line on this song. Really great. It, this sounds just like a really easygoing kind of hard rock vibe, if you know what I mean. Like, it's not, it's not really... It's called Getting Hard, but it ain't Try Hard. It's just a really easy kind of organic song. And it's one of the things, like, as much as I do ha I do like 94, the Motley Crue 94 album, mm -hmm. but like I said, there's nothing about that album that sounds like a band just comes in and starts jamming. Like, it's all very, you know, put together. It feels very like, like it's all put together on a computer to me. And, and very, everything sounds like it's been produced and worked on for years. It's kind of like a better version of Chinese democracy. That's like kind of what I feel like 94 sounds like. Whereas this, even though it's just Steve Stevens pretty much, Steve Stevens just organically sounds like a dude jamming with himself. <laughs> like it's just very, you know, it sounds human. It sounds like human beings made this fucking record. And I love it because I love human beings. <laughs> anyway, this is a good <laughs> rocking song. I like it. It's it's not a bad second to last song. It, it's a good solid track. Nothing special. I wouldn't say it's a single or anything. But I like the song. I think it's a good track. What do you think, Vincent? I like the song too. I think it's another one that's a little bit of a snap of attitude at the end of the record. That it's got this little swagger and swing to it with that riff, and of course that solo is just 
monstrous. They, he's doing the machine gun thing with that solo again, where he's just spraying notes like a tsunami. So um, I always like when he does that. But this, the song is... Um, it's got a nice little swing to it. It's not over overblown, and you know Vince is really good on it too. He, it, he's like in his element with that type of attitude and uh, swagger that the song has. So I, I like this one. Nice. What do you think, Eric? I fucking love this song, and uh, I feel like Vince Neil got the title for this song because uh, he gets the he gets pretty damn hard when he sees that KFC buffet backstage every show. <laughs> V likes. <laughs> yeah, he loves that fucking gravy, man. Holy shit! But no, um, it's a great fucking song. It's probably you know, probably maybe my third favorite track off the album. I love the I love the way he delivers the verses and the way the guitar has kind of like a strut to it during the verses. Like I, it's I don't know. I just picture someone strutting down the street of like Los Angeles, you know, when that verse is hitting. A uh, great song, and I like the chorus. And I may take a lot of shit for this. Um, but the chorus almost has like that that Beatles sound to it, like the way uh, Vince harmonizes with the background singers. It has like a little Beatles esque in the chorus, um, which yeah, everyone remembers. Motley Crue tried to do like a Beatles tribute on Doctor Feelgood, which equivalent to them just basically ripping off "She's So Heavy" and it sounded horrible. Yeah, I actually um, like that song, but it's all oh, I, I like but, Slice Here Fine. Dude, I, I like that. I think that's one of the better songs on the album. I like when they do the She's So Heavy thing. Yeah, it's just, it, it's, he pulls it off better because he's got good musicians doing it. Because, I mean, Nikki Six trying to be Paul McCartney, it's it's like a anorexic <laughs> trying to eat bagels. It's not going to fucking work. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, but, uh, yeah, I think that little bit of Beatles esque in the chorus is a better tribute than Motley Crue did on Dr. Feelgood's Slice of Your Pie. This song's just fucking amazing, and it just goes to show, man, Vince Neil's a great fucking singer when he can be. You know, if he's in the studio, um, you know, he's a great singer with a unique voice that no one else has, and I love this song. Great, fun, rocking song. Yeah, it's a lot like what we were saying about Ozzy and what you could say about David Lee Roth. Like, yeah, people could say, and this is the thing, again... Karabi is a very is a very good singer, and I can see why people might think he's stronger than Vince. But you know, just because you're raspier doesn't necessarily mean you're stronger. I don't know. Yeah. I, like like he's a good singer. Don't get me wrong, and I like the stuff on '94. But I just think Vince Neil has more personality. I think Karabi's a little generic. You know, I just like I like. Let's put it this way. He sounds cool, Karabi. Like he, you yeah, know, I like his raspy yeah. voice. But I don't know, short of the fact that his uncle was a pervert, I don't really know anything about him from listening to that album. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, you know, you, he's like David Lee Roth or Ozzy. Like, he's a guy you listen to and he's like, you know who Vince is. Like, yeah. yeah and Billy Idol. Idol was a singer kind of like that, too. Like, like where they're a personality. And it's like, you know, in Morrissey. Like, he just singers like that where you know who they are when you listen to the album. You know, and that's what I mean when I think Karabi's a little generic. Like, I'm sure he, he's probably, from what everyone says, he's a nice guy. He's a cool guy. Vince Neil met him and said he's he's a cool guy. But it's like, I don't really know much about him from listening to that album, you know? And, yeah. and that's the thing. Vince Neil just has personality. I know who Vince is after listening to Exposed. Even if I didn't listen to anything he did with Motley Crue beforehand, like just on this album alone... I would have an idea of what kind of guy Vince Neil is, you know? And yeah. and, that, and that's what I respond to. Like I said, I'm not all about technique and 
who hits the right notes and all that shit. Although I think he's doing a great job for the most part on this album. But I just know he has a personality and I connect mm-hmm. to that personality. And, and the other per- thing, yeah. The other thing too is, I mean, it's just like, like I said, no one's, no one sounds like Vince Neil. Just like while we were talking about the one episode, no one sounds like Ozzy. Everyone, Dio's a great singer, but like there's so many singers that copy his style and sound like him, whereas you don't have a lot of singers trying to copy Ozzy because they really, they can't, you know, and that's the same with Vince Neil. Vince has a voice all his own that no one can really replicate. No one can sound like Vince Neil, and there's no one that's really honestly sound like Vince Neil ever. Yeah, and I think it's kind of like David Lee Roth, too. I think that's why he can kind of adapt to even, like, jazzier stuff, because it's this personality. It's like this personality and singers, like, stepping into this other area of the club where other kind of music's going. But, like, he'll still, like, hey, it's now me in this other area. You know, he's a personality, and I think he's definitely underrated uh, uh, in that regard. But let's go into the last song where we see yet another side of Vince. Uh, This is uh, the song... Forever, and not surprising with the title like Forever, it's a ballot, a power ballot. <laughs> now, you guys might think I'm a real lame-o for this, but I love this song. I think it's a wonderful ballot. I think it blows away that other ballot. I think it's fucking crazy that they release Can't Change Me and not Forever. To me, Forever wipes yeah. the floor with it. As far as, I mean, it's just the melody. It's so much stronger, so much more m- memorable. To me, this, even in 93, with a good enough video, and maybe if they hired, like, some pretty actress, like, it, kind of like what Aerosmith did with Felicia Silverstone, you know, there were still some ballots, some power ballots that were hits in the, you know, in 93. Aerosmith mm-hmm. is pulling it off. I think bon Forever... Is doing it, too. Yeah, I exactly. I think Forever could have been a hit. In 93, I think they should have let off with a heavier track, like Look in Your Eyes and the Edge, to kind of open this, themselves up to maybe like the Pantera crowd or, or like I said, the Slave to the Grime you know, crowd and show that, hey, he's not just Mr. Motley Crue guy. He's not just Mr. Motley Crue. And then hit, hit them with the big, beautiful, catchy as hell power ballad for the ladies with a real glossy video with some like, you know, twenty-something actress in it. You know, <laughs> and and I think it could have pushed this album over. You know, I think it's crazy that Forever was not released as a ballad. You know, yeah, the title's a little cliche, and yeah, Kiss had a hit. You know, Forever a few years before it, but short of that, I mean, the melody to me, this is like um, it's like a cheap trick ballad. You know, it kind of has that uh, melodic. It, it it reaches some of the melodic heights, I think, of some of the best cheap trick ballads. Very Beatlesque. It's it's just ear candy to me, where it hits that chorus. It's just a beautiful chorus. It's beautifully sung. As always, the guitar work, the acoustic guitar, the electric guitar, it's all wonderful. It's just, it, it, I mean, yeah, they're like playing you, you know, like, like a book, but it's like a well-written book. Like, this is just a top-shelf, poppy power ballad. Really done well. And I think, with the exception of Home Sweet Home, which I would put above this, I think it's better than every subsequent post-Home Sweet Home Motley Crue ballot. I think it's a great power ballot. I also like it better than any of the ballots are, are on 94 as well. So I, I just love this song. It's probably my fourth favorite song on this album. And I find it just it's just ear candy. And I think it's insane that it was not released as a single. That's my opinion. So what do you think of this song, Eric? Room, uh, forever. Um, I know he dedicated this song to his uh, wife, Sharice, and let's just say she wasn't his wife shortly after uh, this song came out. 
Uh, it's probably because it's probably one of the weaker tracks off the album. I'm sorry, Edwin, but man, this this ballad doesn't do it for me. It's better than Can't Change Me, but that's, not, that's still not saying much. Horrible fucking song. Um, I would send the album with getting uh, getting hard. Uh, not much else to say, Vincent. What what do you think of Forever? I actually like this one. I'm going to side with Edwin on this one because yeah, right on. I just think it's it's the right amount of uh, sort of dramaticness that it has, or, or this this big power ballad feel. I think it's just the right amount, and it doesn't really uh, beat it into your beat it into my skull. But um, I really like the arrangement in it. And I think this is probably one of the most sophisticated sounding songs that Vince has done. Like it's it's really ambitious. So. I, I really enjoy that they took this chance, and it, it does surprise me that this wasn't all over MTV with like some really great video. Um, but yeah, I, I like this one, and it's another one that Phil Susan worked on as well. Yeah, I mean, I just love the guitar work. Like this whole album, this is the thing. It's just ear candy to me. And Steve Stevens, it's like, <laughs> I know, yeah. How how could you not appreciate this album on a certain level? Yeah. But I could- I, could, I was going to say, I'm sorry. I could gush on Steve Stevens stuff, but you know that's just what you're going to get when once you start talking st- me with Steve Stevens. I'm just going to keep gushing. So, right, <laughs> but you gave it up for Vince too. That's the thing. Vince, yeah. steps, you know, steps up. You know, I don't think a lot of singers could like. You know, that's it's like only before him. It's like Billy Idol. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. One of the most iconic singers, you know, from the '80s. You know, and. That's kind of the level you need to be at. It's just like uh, Steve I, you know, one of these guitars that you really need someone at that level that, that can kind of match this person. You know, all the personality that Steve Stevens is bringing to, to the guitar, you, he, if he had a singer that didn't match up to it, it'd be nothing, you know. But Vince yeah. Neil, you know, he steps, he steps up to the plate. Like, he actually can sing on an album that Steve Stevens is doing all this wonderful music to, you know? And that's to Vince's credit, and I think the guy just did not get enough credit, and I do think if this album was better received, Vince Neil might have became a different kind of artist, you know? You know, he might have evolved and might have not been, like, kind of the butt of jokes and that fat KFC guy just singing old Molly. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. That's all I'm saying. I, I think he had it in him. I mean, or maybe he was inevitably, he would have just went the same way as David Lee Roth. Like after an album or two, the stuff would have got kind of spotty, you know? So who, who's to say? All I know is that I think he's an underrated singer. And this is a very, very, very underrated album. I love it. I think it's great. And it sounds like uh, you guys uh, really dig it too. Yeah. Hell also, yeah. At the time that, you know, this was being pushed by the record company, I think, I think it was, they did a good effort pushing it, but I think it was the times changing into grunge that also sabotaged this being more elevated in, in everybody's consciousness. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a, it's a bad combination of bad timing and bad singles released. I think that, yeah, you know, I think they literally released the worst singles they could have picked. And on top of it, the timing was not good to begin with, you know? So it's like they were, like, doubling down. Uh, I mean, as it is, this album, you know, sold respectfully, you know? I think it went gold. I know the same. I think it did about the same. Maybe 94 did a little bit better. But neither album set the world on fire, you know? So neither had a win, which is obviously why they got back together. Because that's what happens when you bust up, you know, and... 
and neither of you hits it big, a year or two later you get back together because that's what happens. <laughs> they kind of both, they, you know, Vince Neil and Motley Crue return to each other with their like you know tail hanging low. <laughs> so uh, and uh, we get and then the world gets Generation Swine as a result oh. of that. Uh, that's what happened. Fuck that album. <laughs> so, you know, and it's just like, gee, you know, couldn't you guys like these albums better? Because then 94 and Exposed would have led to two musical outfits giving us better music. And instead, we got Generation Swine. God damn you, mid-90s music Blame listeners. Plain of fans. Careful, we're stuck. Yeah. Yeah, god damn it. So anyway, this is a great episode, Vincent. So great to have you on it. You you know, really brought a lot to the table, as I knew you would, my friend. Agreed. So, do you have any uh, recommendations, anything you've been listening to uh, like this week that you think uh, others that maybe especially people that like an album like this might dig? What do you? What would you like to recommend? I think the latest thing I've been listening to often is the Smith Cotson stuff. Because they have a EP called Better Days, and there's just a lot of great playing with Adrian Smith and Richie Kotzen. Um, that's probably like my current thing, aside from the new Ghost that's coming out. So there's two singles from them that I like. Are you a big Ghost guy? Me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm in the video for Cerise. I'm actually one of the extras in, in that video. Oh, I no did way. not know that. Really? Wow. Yeah. I um I had some friends tell me that uh to check this link out and i i sent away to it and, I, and they they basically asked you why you want to be in the video send them a headshot and eight hours later i got a message saying you got selected to be in the video be here at this time and this time and they shot it in los Feliz, which isn't too few towns over from me here in, in la so I, I got to spend the day with him for uh what like nine hours <laughs> do, do you nice. have ma- do you have like makeup on uh, on the video? In the video, it's like Carrie, where the girl is basically doing telekinetic attacks to the audience, and I'm one of the audience members, so we had to get, run around and get pretend to get thrown into the walls and stuff. So I'm in a couple of shots in the video, but oh, cool! We'll have nice. to po- post that on on the group. You know, yeah. Mick Watkins. Mick Watkins is a huge Ghost fan, so he'll think that's cool. So yeah, I'm not a big fan of the band myself. I have been listening to them a little bit because Mick, you know, asked me to, and I do like some of the music. I'm just not, I, I just, I'm just not into the the dude's voice, the singer. Yeah, that can, that's you know, that happens with with some people where it is, but you know, he's he's come from this uh, Swedish uh, background, like where he sang in another band, uh, mm-hmm. and it was um, a lot darker and a lot heavier. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see his influences come around and like become Ghost, but. He's a very cool dude. You can talk movies with that dude for hours because we were just, after the shoot, we were talking about zombie films and uh, all sorts of shit, and he was really, really cool. Well, nice. that's, pr- that's pretty cool. Uh, and what about you, Eric? What are you listening to this week? Anything you'd like oh, to recommend? Man. Well, uh, I, I bought my tickets uh, not too long ago for the big Wasp Armored Saint show. You know, oh, Wasp nice. going on, going on yeah. tour in America, finally. Um so it's in December, but because of that, I've been on a huge Wasp kick lately, and the album I've been listening to the most recently has been The Headless Children from 1989. Holy shit, that's a fucking good album. Uh, really great. I think that was kind of the last really great album from Wasp. Um, they have a couple of ours. Like, I really like uh, Unholy Terror and, like, uh, 
still not black enough, like he has their post eighties albums, but for the most part I think Wasp kinda lived and died in the in the eighties. Uh yeah. just kinda after that they kinda went in a totally different direction. And I feel Headless Children's really the last, like, you know, really good solid album from Wasp. It's a little bit more serious than the previous albums, but it's got some some great fucking songs on there, like the title track, uh Heretic um, Thunderhead, uh, Rebel in the FDG, just a real solid fucking album. I definitely recommend listening to that or just listen to any 80s Wasp album. How about you, Edwin? Uh, I, I'm gonna recommend something I've been listening to a lot this week is the album Restless Heart by Whitesnake, which was, it's an interesting album. It was originally released in 1987. It was an album that David Coverdale it's a little like the seventh uh, star kind of situation. He wanted it to be a solo album, but the record label's like, no, it's got to be Whitesnake. So he, they made a compromise and released it originally as David Coverdale and Whitesnake is the title. And <laughs> it wasn't even released in America by this point. Uh, it was only released in Europe and in other territories. So America actually never got this album. And... I, I, I mean, I like the original album, but the sequencing, it was interesting because the original version of it, because I'm, uh, I'm recommending this new version, this remix version, which Whitesnake has been doing this the past couple years where David Coverdale is like getting these older albums, especially some of the more hair metal stuff, and he's remixing it to be a little ballsier sounding and a little closer to the rootsier stuff from the, like the early 80s and mm-hmm. kind of, changing the album order a bit normally i don't like this kind of revisionism in music but here i i kind of like it i actually i think like um you know slip of the tongue i prefer the the remix reorganized version i think it's a stronger album and this is much stronger this way it, the title track is a great tra- song to open this album with and originally it originally he kind of leaned into like the soul and poppier side and yeah. spaced yeah. out the heavier songs, whereas here he's like putting the heavier songs a little more front and center. And it still has this other stuff. It still has the pop songs and the the soul songs, but they're just spaced out better. And it's spaced out more like a White Snake album. And I think it I think it works better. I think they did a good job remixing it. And you know, like with White Snake, you know, you don't go for the lyrics. So it's all a bunch of cliche rubbish. But David Coverdale <laughs> will sing the shit out of cliche rubbish. He will make it sound like it means something. And he, this is him coming off a of Coverdale page. So, and it sounds like it. Like his, this is like kind of his last album where his voice is really at that level. You know, that level yeah. that he was at on Slip of the Tongue and Coverdale page. Like he was like hitting a peak there after 20 years in the music business. I thought he was doing some of his best singing yet. And this is like the last album that has that vocal range. So if you're, if you're a fan of David Coverdale and his singing, you definitely should check this out. I think it's a really, it was just re- released, uh, just a, like a month or two ago. This new version, it's on iTunes or, you know, wherever you get music, but Restless Heart, the new 2021 remix. It also has some, uh, other bonus tracks that they added to it. And it's, it's all good stuff. If you like just straight up cock rock, mixed in with a little bit of soul and pop mixed into the game with a really amazing singer then yeah check it out white snake restless heart restless heart i'll have to check that out all right well that was a great episode i definitely recommend you go check out those albums and as well check out the album we just talked about vince neal exposed i want to thank vincent Car- carbonat 
for Had being him. on the show <laughs> uh, and sharing some great stories with about Steve Stevens, that great Rob Halford story. Uh, I just want to thank him for being on the being on this episode. Uh, and likewise, Edwin, I enjoy being your co-host, and uh, yeah, it's a great episode. So, on behalf of the Rock Allery Podcast, I say good night. Later, people. Take care, folks.